Hey, welcome everyone. Scott with Leading Edge Archery. This is our new podcast room. It is amazing. <laughs> we actually built this in a week. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. We need to post some before and after photos. We do. Uh, this used to be our storage facility where we kept all of our stock. We moved all the stock out in the showroom, I think, in one day. And then I went to Roger Koss, who's an expert uh, craftsman. craftsman, and said, I want to do this on the back wall. He did this in one and a half, two days. Yeah. Painted the whole room. We got the table moved in here. Helped a helped an eighty year old man. Yeah, huff some paint. Yeah, we have we have this guy pops who who uh, is here and he one of our customers, uh, more of a fixture. He's what is pops like? Seriously, eighty four. I think eighty three or eighty four. And he actually painted him and Roger painted this room. Funny thing is, pops was in here with that door closed and he got pretty stoned. Really? Yeah, it was funny. So what you're saying is that Pops would have been doing. Oh, yeah, exactly. And then so we got to give some mad props though, to some people. First of all, um, our film guy over here, Ryan, which you can't see. He's always in the background. His uh, parents own a company called Branded Iron. And I'll tell you, they do all of our hats, our shirts, um, and they are integrals. I called her literally one night and said, hey, I want to do these for video, which would be kind of cool. And they're just signs that we can hold up someone like Bridger says something really stupid you know we can do this and uh <laughs> won't be needing that one <laughs> <laughs> but uh and she made these like literally in one night and these are the kind of people that that, that they are and they're amazing um the kind of people that that and we're going to have a new sign back here he bob came and looked at everything and there's going to be an le backlighted sign which would be really cool yeah and this yeah. room is going to progressively get better, get and better. better and better yeah absolutely um but yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, wanted to give some shout outs to those guys and uh, we appreciate everything they do, especially we got some great people here. Um, anyways, this week's going to, we're going to do something cool. We haven't actually interviewed this guy, which is kind of strange. We've had what, four or five professional archers on, on mm -hmm. with us, I think in the last year and a half. Um, and we've always overlooked this one dude who's pretty, he's not bad. I, he's pretty, he's all right. pretty all right. Yeah. He's, Funny thing is, he's with us every, every day. Every day. That's why I think we take it for granted. I apologize from the bottom of my heart. Me too. Yeah, you guys aren't sorry. Big, <laughs> big hearts. Yeah, no kidding. Anyways, this is going to be kind of cool. We're going to talk to Bridger Deaton. Um, kind of go through his career, what he's done, where he came from, um, and actually talk about his setups, both on his hunting bow or target bow, and kind of give you his insight of what he does. He's actually preparing for London, Kentucky, correct? Uh, yeah, leaving I mean, heck, next week. Actually, leaving a couple days. Yeah, yeah. a couple days. Um, so it'd be kind of cool to get his insight on what he's been doing. I know he's he's been shooting the last couple of days pretty good and pretty much. And we'll talk through what what he's looking for in him, in his setup and when he's out there, you know, practicing and training for the, like the last forty eight hours and kind of closing up to the D day before he has to get out of here. So it's gonna be kind of cool. Go out there and rake it. Yeah. Um, I need to get floaties. I don't know why every ASA it's just the, oh my god the weather he, gods. It's like he God walks. sees ASA on a weekend and yeah. I think he checks with Mike Terrell so he can set up the weather for the year. <laughs> yeah, sure he's walking through the shop weekend. the other day and he looks at me and he's just you know out of the blue. Why does it got to rain every single ASA tournament? Have you ever had one where it didn't rain? No. Wow. Well, well, I mean, yeah. yeah. 
but like it it just always seems like it does i will say this i literally have probably shot one or two that i haven't wore or taken my muck boots Mm -hmm. i was just gonna say i've probably shot like one or two asas or i haven't had to wear muck boots or like haven't i mean like i didn't wear them last year in foley but i needed them you guys aren't convincing me here it was supposed to be going to Metropolis for the. Well, to be fair, Metropolis is one of the ones where I didn't need buck boots. Okay, yeah, I just needed. A, would... I just had to carry a swamp cooler around exactly. because it was 120 so, yeah. degrees outside. If, if it's not raining, then you you need an oasis pretty much. Yeah, yeah. out yeah. there yeah. dying. Well, and then I was there one year, and it looked like we were having a uh, what do they call it? A truck mudders convention. Okay, I mean there were literally four wheel drive trucks, some big jacked up, sixteen inches off the off the ground being pulled out by tractors what was it the wow a few years ago the uh the road in london when you drive down the power line to go to the back ranges and the pro range and gillingham had a video he was like up at the bottom of the hill and some dude was just like doing donuts <laughs> coming down the hill yeah. on there because it had poured so bad. so bad yeah that's gonna be me with this four-wheel drive power chair yeah i'll be out there skidding and doing donuts and you know it's funny you say that but that's why i always said man come to san antonio we got everything here. We got fun things to do, and it's all caliche rock. Correct. It doesn't get muddy. Minus one thing. What? The swamp cooler. Yeah, you're true. definitely going to need it here. Yeah, it's not that bad. Uh, if they if they do it in, I don't know, late in spring. The, yeah, yeah. Say in the spring, yeah. it'd be fine. Although, yeah. although this spring, it's been it's been really wet. It's been wet. Yeah. Well, it, last like it, two three weeks. Yeah. Friday of tack, it rained pretty mm-hmm. much all day. Yeah, and and uh, there's no mud. We've had major droughts the last two years yeah and we just made up for him in the last two months absolutely probably we probably ha- got like over an inch rain in like a two-hour span so a days we ago. were setting up uh, that 3d course this weekend we set it up last night and they have a rain gauge on the pond and it was two inches wow. in in spring branch that's how much was in it yeah, i was telling crazy. bridger when it when it rained really hard last time i was coming to league and i'm a little bit of a daredevil we, were, we talked about that hunt and what I did to that minivan and yeah. took it out to the stand. Um, so I was yeah, coming. Yeah, took a minivan <laughs> off-roading. I, and it's, it's already low boy too. Yeah, it's for lower. The, it's for adaptive. The stuff, adaptive. I, I got <laughs> stuck like three times, but I, I was able to reverse and just gun it. Um, but anyway, I, I was coming down the back roads coming out here, and, and we saw a bunch of road uh, closure signs. Of course, me being me, I was like, ah, I'm just going to go see what, what it's like. There's a lot of low water crossings. <laughs> and I, I, I there was a legit rapid going across the, the road. Yeah. But I saw I saw a sedan do it. So I was like, man, I'll be damned if I don't. And I remember going through it and just thinking, please, Lord, don't let me get swept away. You're not supposed to drive through standing water, Jason. No. Well, it so- was moving. Oh yeah, oh, so okay. that's worse. <laughs> so let me ask you a question: Why don't they do so? Like you know the the guys in the hip hop cars that do the raising and lifting, the donks. Oh yeah, why don't? Can't you get like a van that's got some like bad A tires on? I it, am. I'm kind of jacked up, but that'll lower before you <laughs> get in it. And I'm gonna get up. I'm just gonna get a full size the next one. Oh yeah. Yeah, but honestly, my biggest full size van. Yeah, the the new ones. They're, I'll show you pictures later. They're pretty kitty, legit. The the kitty diddler vans. Yeah, the candy. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to have beaver panels, and I'm going to have trails of Jolly Ranchers. Um, no, no, they they they're made by Dodge. Actually, they're uh, they're called Tempest. Mm. They're pretty legit. But my biggest drive? No, they're not. You should get one drive, of those big they're, they're Mercedes four wheel drive. Yeah, things. yeah, but I can't put it in my garage. 
I only have eight foot doors. Those things are like ten. They're feet still tall. building the house. Exactly. Don't they not, haven't cut it out. Don't add two feet to the planks. You Just saw. You saw the up. the LVLs. Yeah, they're not going to change out those headers. <laughs> no, they won't. Yeah. So no, honestly, my my Leave biggest fear. Outside. Yeah, I could, but I mean that's dropping a hundred grand or eight, it's eighty, ah. seventy, something like that. Ah. I know, right? Just archery, money. archery's making me rich. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Just win but, a tournament. Yeah. No, honestly, my my biggest fear was not getting swept away. My biggest fear at that time was <laughs> my Spotify playlist. At that precise moment, there was a Nickelback song. No way. And I was like, dude, if I get rolled over and they find me. With Nickelback playing. With Nickelback playing. I'm never going to live that down. So, yeah, oh, that's whatever. Funny. But, so yeah, we, hopefully hopefully you get you get some good weather in, in London. Yeah. I mean, it's like 20-something percent, 20, 30 percent, but it keeps going going up every day. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's As per usual. Per, per, per the ASA. Yeah. So, you got London, Metropolis. London, Metropolis. I mean, July is the, July is the really busy one. Yeah. Because I think it go like three or four in a row. Well, you because there's you a Yankton y- mixed in there somewhere. There's the Yankton shoot. Yankton, yeah. Skankton. What is yeah. that's the Yankton shoot outdoor and then I'm excited yeah, that, for that one's one. well, it's three. I'm only gonna shoot two. Yeah, Jason, you're kind so. Of, what are you shooting at that one? There's three. So, so the ones they're having are field nationals, outdoor target nationals, and the first Dakota Classic. Right. Which ones? But you I'm shooting? I'm I'm only gonna shoot the field field and first Dakota. I don't need to go stand in the wind and remind myself that I target panic. So, <laughs> but that's what it's all about. I'm going to be there with you, dude. Did you? I'll, I'll, I'll be holding your hand. Yeah, I'm going fishing, son. We were there's about there's that, walleyes in that lake there. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Where the everybody just got back from? Where was it overseas? Um, oh, Swi- the Switzerland, I think. Was it Switzerland? Yeah, I don't remember. But yeah, they were talking. Some there was a forum. They were talking about the wind, how bad it was. I, I, that is the one thing of that sport that drives me crazy. The so wind. you kind of like the, you look at ASA and rain. Yeah. The other it's side of the fence, it wind, is feet and wind. Oh, it's, it's like, well, they, they were ever, dealing do with they all kinds of rain, man. In calm conditions ever. Hey, I, I will I've say, so they shot in Luzanne when I won finals in Luzanne was Dead. the best weather I've ever shot in. And really? we were like on the lake shore. Yeah. Really? Yeah. We were like on the edge of the water and that was the best weather I've ever shot in. Yeah, I've huh. had pretty good luck in Europe so far. Netherlands was pretty pretty I calm. Think the, the Europeans all have decent weather. That's why they all shoot monster Amazing scores in yeah, yeah. like European Championships and all their national events. Because right. like the I think when Mike shot the war, or shot our tied world record, or no, it was Peter Elzinger shot a three sixty on a fifty meter round. And then they showed pictures of where they're shooting at. And it's, I mean, it's outside. It's all the rules. But, like, I mean, there's, like, 50-foot walls. walls on either side. <laughs> yeah. It can't be windy. But, I mean, that could. It's not a bad idea. That could be bad, though, if the wind actually creeps in and comes around. Oh, dude. Well, when we'd shoot in big big stadiums. Yeah. So, like, in China, we always shot in a big. The big uh, bird nest stadium? Yeah, it was a big stalker field. So, it had the, you know, had a 100 or 400-meter track. Yeah. Going around it. And then the. Uh, soccer field when we shoot on the field and if you were in the middle of the field or the left or right side the wind would be different different oh, yeah. so like when we'd shoot team rounds or shoot eliminations like as you're moving you're reciting in the entire every time. Entire time every yeah. time you'd move two bales over and the wind could be the opposite direction yeah. that's crazy that's like that first international <laughs> that i had in, in check everything was awesome on the on the field but when we got to the final stage there was a tunnel 
mm-hmm. coming right through it. Blowing well, right they, through there. Oh, yeah, where they used was... to shoot the metal matches in Columbia. The the first year I went was the year they went to the new finals venue. But before, like during the week, the weather was awesome. Medellin's like gorgeous city. The weather's mm-hmm. always perfect there. And like they had great weather all week. And then they got to the finals venue. And I think Rio and Braden were shooting off and they shot like in the 130s. No kidding. Because, I mean, the wind was because they were in between two buildings and it was just a wind tunnel. That's awesome. Downtown somewhere. So, you know, it's you guys can't see this, but Jason went and bought a regular brewing coffee maker. A, a, so a 12, it's not, a, not a Keurig. $12 Mr. Coffee. $12. It's hard to yeah, beat. It was a little bit more. But and yeah. he bought a grinder. And this, and we're, we're drinking this Flying Elk coffee from Black Rifle. This stuff's actually pretty good. I'm digging it. It's, it's weird how much better brewed coffee is than the Keurigs. No knock on the Keurig. It's convenient. Yeah. It is very convenient, and I mean, you could you could also do those little filtered things where you just put your your ground yeah. coffee in it. Yeah, I hate them things are pain. The I know they're hard to clean and yeah. Yeah. convenience. Convenient, exactly. We well, need let's to, get started. Yeah, let's talk. Uh, like I said, we haven't talked to this guy, and we've talked to seem like a lot of other every other pro. It seems like, um, and maybe in, uh, hope we're not going to repeat a lot of backstories from. Uh, last year but bridge don't you talk through you know where you're from how you got into archery you know good old-fashioned midwestern country boy i know that i mean like most everybody else in the midwest started started shooting a bow because hunting season you know so for for whitetail there our gun season's only two and a half weeks long yeah versus archery season we get two months and then you also get the late season so you get another three quarters of a month so you get almost three full months of hunting with a bow so that's why we my dad and i started shooting and then this is in iowa yeah from iowa so uh we just started shooting started doing that and just kind of on a fluke started shooting local 3d stuff and kind of went from there so so did you figure out like real quick like hey I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this the the first 3d shoot I ever went to i was golly, i was maybe 11 or 12 now uh 10 or 11 anyways the first one we'd ever went to I ended up getting second place really so i'm i'm like well, damn dad damn dad it's cool it's cool to win let's keep going so <laughs> yeah. we started going to more and more of them and and then meeting different people, got involved with, got to know and got involved with a couple of people that ran the the ISAA Pro-Am at the time. Uh-huh. And through them, and oddly enough, a scheduling conflict, <laughs> found out about USA Archery stuff and went and shot the indoor team trials for, I think, Poland. And that was like 2009. And that was like my first exposure to the USA Archery stuff. Right. And then started going to all those as a kid. So... Which one did you like more as a kid between the? Uh, I mean, once I got to that point, I enjoyed shooting FIDA more because right. there was no known distance stuff in the 3D. Right. And I, I got the worst eyeballs on the planet, so it's hard also, for me to judge. judging it. 3D. Well, then. yeah, it's easy to judge 3D as a 12-year-old shooting 60 pounds. I mean, <laughs> everything's either 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 I aim at the 12 ring or I aim I at the top, the top of the 12, 12 ring. Yeah, so. You know, the farthest you're shooting is 30 yards. As a little kid, it's pretty easy. But you were shooting 60 the, pounds at 12 years old. 
I was a thick kid. <laughs> a okay. thick kid. I, did, I wore I wore husky jeans. So. Husky <laughs> jeans. I remember I'm with that. you. And I had to, I had to find slims. I remember that. Really, they're hard to find. So I mean, but yeah, I mean, so after once I started moving up, and I just wasn't very good at judging distance, and I had started shooting that feet of stuff and having success with that, so I just yeah. kind of leaned into that stuff. That's awesome. So, so you won a lot of stuff though as a junior. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I have no idea what all was. I know I won almost every, I know the last like two years I shot junior, <clears throat> I won almost all the, won almost everything. Yeah. Junior and cadet stuff. So. Right. So you pretty much have a fishbowl full of junior medals. Yeah. So that's, my, that's my, we're getting at. my, uh, NFA indoor nationals bowl, bowl yeah, that yeah. I won in, in the young adult is like, I don't have. I only brought my international medals when I, I moved down here. Yeah. So like, I only have like maybe ten or twenty percent of everything I got. But yeah, I have that bowl, and it's like it's overflowing <laughs> with medals and crap. So, and then in my old bedroom at my parents' house, there's probably a stack of plaques up to my eyeballs. Yeah. Nice, three or four rows deep. So from all the local stuff as a little kid. Yeah. So it's kind of cool though. Your parents really supported that and. I know your mother has drugged you all across the world. I mean, I would argue that I probably drug her more often than not. <laughs> really? But, but yeah, I mean, my parents are great about supporting me. And, yeah. you know, I kind of wanted to, I decided once I kind of hit high school that I was pretty decent at this. I had actually stopped doing all, all other school sports just to avoid injury, you know, with football or basketball. Yeah, because like you know what's that. funny? He just, I seen a picture of him. He actually, uh, as a husky kid, ran cross country. Well, yeah, and I seen that picture. I was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, my my junior senior year, <laughs> I ran like cross a, country. Yeah, he looks like a linebacker BHA. with a tracksuit on. Yeah, <laughs> it was hilarious. I yeah, compared running. to all compared to all the other skinny little kids. Yeah, exactly. Running that stuff, I but. ran with him though. He can run so, but that's cool though. Like I said, his and his your mother to this day. I mean, in the ripe old age of mid-20s still travels with you i know she went to vegas she, with you this year she still requires that she goes to vegas every year yeah um and she usually tries to go to like one or two other yeah. ones yeah if she can awesome. depending on where they're at so yeah she enjoys it and so did you um and your dad he i know he com competed with you in the 3d but once once you started the feed of stuff i imagine your dad probably took a step back out of that or i mean a little bit some of it was me just you know kind of evolving past his knowledge right, right level but other parts of it too i mean he my my mom could kind of work from wherever and right you know my dad drives a truck so he had to stay home and work a little bit but exactly. he had come to other shoots so he, like he he came to indoor nationals when i won that yeah um and he's been to some other stuff too but i guess what i'm getting at is your dad i know shoots the longbow Mm -hmm. he's old school tradition yeah well he he quit shooting compound and moved to traditional, traditional. because i kept kicking his ass with a compound <laughs> and i can't and he Dad, needed I something to, hear that he needed something to beat me with there you go and he can't, pretty, he, hey your dad's pretty good he when he's actually practicing he shoot pretty damn good with yeah. that thing yeah no kidding so well, he's got to get it somewhere and he shoots a longbow so which i mean they're both a stick and a string so it's hard for me to shoot either one of them but yeah uh, longbow generally is harder to shoot than a right. than a recurve is. Does your um? Yeah, no one. He hunts dead. with that longbow too, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, he's killed a couple of good deer with it. I know he brought it with him that first time he came down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, 
we need to get him back down here. And I know he he still really wants to kill an axis. Yeah, axis with one of them. That's got to be on the bucket list for him. So yeah, it's just probably really hard to put him in a blind. But, yeah, with the longbow. Yeah, it's yeah. Not easy. I mean, he's got really. Got he's got pilot. he's got like a some bow that he bought for shooting out of a blind. It's oh, a little really? shorter. Yeah, gotcha. Like a horse bow. I ain't horse bow, but yeah, it's like 48 or 50 inch or something like so, that. It's a pretty cool. short one. Here's a question I know that really is, and I've never asked you this and I'm kind of baffled. Um, I'm going to guess, cause I know you, you probably self-taught yourself or did you really have a high level coach that you were working with? When I you mean, first started? I guess if, in the traditional sense, I would say self-taught, but I've been helped by multiple people. Yeah, right. Um, but never, but I not never, where you went on Wednesday and thursday nights no. to see this guy to do this no and the reason i bring that up is that sometimes and i just i'm convinced and i always be, have believed this that you know we as humans we have an innate ability to do something that god has given us to excel at and i think archery was you dude i mean you're you got just a god-given talent to shoot yeah i mean i don't know about that i mean yeah it's about that it's it's his top talent it, it, Second would be singing. Third would be yeah, golf. Yeah, his singing is amazing. And then golf. Did you sing in choir in school by any chance? Yeah, yeah. So we but always keep, talk about this. And one of these days, we're going to do it. I mean, the only same reason every guy goes does choir in high school. You Girls. look at the yeah. You look at the dude <laughs> to chick ratio here. Oh lordy, there we go. He now, granted, they're that. all nerds, but it's okay. Nerds. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Top talent archery. Yeah, golf is golf's pretty amazing. close. So I've golfed with well, him. Well, my, my dad always said he's like, "Well, damn, I wish I'd put a golf club in your hand instead of a bow and arrow because we <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make a lot more go, money. I make a lot more money. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Heck, what do you finish top two hundred? You're still making hundred thousand a year <laughs> or some I crazy mean, number? If you make the cut up fit half of your tournaments, I mean, granted, again, in the PGA is a little different. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. If you make half your cuts, you're going to be sitting pretty good this is true yeah but even if you go on some of those shows some of those reality golf shows you just still get paid if Heck, if, if that's lessons. what do they charge for lessons nowadays so i i used to take lessons when i was in alabama and a a pro was charging i think it's like 80 90 bucks an hour. an hour yeah yeah well that's for like a club pro correct versus like PGA an actual pro. pga pro i mean like 300 bucks an hour or something i'm pretty sure well, I mean, depending on who it is, but yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I wonder how much Phil would charge now. His, you can't, his, it, price, Phil's his response went way up. Phil would probably just say, you can't afford me. Yeah. <laughs> you have to ask. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. Yeah, no kidding. So yeah. you started winning everything as a junior. I mean, you pretty much won everything, I think. Though. Plus team events. I know you won a lot of team events as a you know kid growing up. And Yeah, um, I mean, well... Yeah, so for the the like the world championships and stuff, the yeah. first world championships went to I think was God, when was that? 2011 in Poland. Yeah, um, and we did well there. Actually, won uh, team champ or won the team event with Danny Button, who still shoots, and then another buddy of mine, Riley, who no longer shoots, but him for whatever reason, Riley and I like he was the one person I could never beat. Really? Whenever he wasn't there, I would always win. And whenever he was, it was always me and him. Yeah. First and second. That's awesome. But uh, did that and then won the team event with Emily Fisher, mm -hmm. local Texan. So, yep. Emily's from right down here in Corpus. Mm -hmm. oh, right on. So, you, so, um, 
when's the first uh, you left the country then at a young age i mean you I mean, went to go two, travel internationally 2011 was the first international shoot you were how old oh 12? god well, well how, how old am i now You're i would have been 16 16 years old That's 16 cool. or 17 yeah yeah so 16 17 he's traveling the, the world shooting your bow which is pretty darn cool um was that the first year you made one of your first uh, that was, national teams yeah that so that was the first junior team i'd ever made and then uh shut the won won the individual worlds in 2012 for indoor for the junior and then went to china again on in 2013 gotcha won the team events there so or actually so, got second there but a lot of people don't know i mean and may know if you're into archery you're going to know but i mean what year did you win your world cup uh won finals in 14. 2014 mm -hmm. so and that was that was the first year i'd shot that so 13 i'd made was the first year i shot senior and when i kind of decided like either i'm gonna like dive in and go head first all in on for one year if it works out great if it doesn't then then we'll go to school and ended up making the making the use that team and then going all the world cups that next year yeah. and so and sign the my matthews deal at the end of that year right so yeah because i don't know people don't realize the world cup is kind of like the probably the u.s olympics of archery i mean not I US, mean, but the olympics of archery it's it's the highest you can go on an international level with a compound with a compound right so on we, year by year i mean because compounders there can't, every year yeah, yeah. compounders can't shoot uh in the olympics correct? right yeah so that's basically the, the mm -hmm. that is the compounds version of the Olympics. Yeah. Which yeah. is I a mean, big it, deal. Excluding world championships, but yeah. Right. Yeah, worlds are pretty big as well. Mm -hmm. And then so but but like those are for the World Cups, that's what everybody shoots all the USATs for. Right. Yeah. So they send the top four top four in each division uh to the World Cup. So yeah. back then you were shooting uh Matthew C four. Mm-hmm. Love that bow, didn't you? I still have it. <laughs> still got it. Still have it. Still have that one that that blue one. Yeah, that's awesome. So, who'd you shoot against in the finals? You remember? Uh, PJ Deloche. PJ Deloche. Yeah, he he was have ranked. You ever watched was, it? Oh yeah, I watched. He it was number times. one in the world at the time. Yeah, and then I actually shot against two French guys, and so I shot against Sebastian Pinot in the quarterfinals from first match. Then I had to shoot against Rio, and then PJ. So yeah, I was watching that final. You you must have nailed. You were on a streak with like nine or ten tens. I hit like eleven in a row. Yeah, I think I I think it's still the highest gold medal score oh, in finals. Really? So I think so. Yeah, one forty. That's like unconfirmed, but yeah. E even before I knew him, I would always watch all the the gold medal matches and everything, and um, it was hilarious because I remember where this guy come from. Yeah, because everybody was watching Rio and Braden mm. and you know all the stalwarts and then you came out of nowhere literally I shot good that year <laughs> yeah you <laughs> did every dog has, has I at least one he day had there with that scruffy beard and everything and he was a little husky <laughs> and I thought who is this guy with his peel of glasses with his peel of glasses on yeah. his... hey man I like those glasses they're yeah. still cool to shoot in yeah I know every well you're coming from the shotgun side of stuff I oh, imagine yeah, everybody wears you have them, to have them in there yeah. wears them and all that so but I mean the like shooting out here in the parking lot, the same same would be the same as like shooting in Arizona. Yeah, because it's on that all that rock. So yeah. the, I mean, you're it's like standing on a mirror. I, I always like to tell this story. Full sun. One of the coolest things of watching him, 
this is like once again before I knew him. You know, I was watching those finals, that finals match, and you know, and I've watched finals for years prior to that, watching Rio win and and, and these guys, and you know, they shoot that last arrow, and <clears throat> it's always a turnaround and come and shake your coach's hand or your spotter's hand, and maybe do a hug with a couple teammates that are standing there, and it's very uh, non eclectic. It's just ah, it's yeah. almost scripted. Yeah, it's almost scripted exactly. Yeah. And here Bridger when he won. Homeboy about threw his bow in the air and did the old Tiger Woods fist pump. And I thought, I'm literally, it's no lie. I thought, okay, that guy's pretty cool. <laughs> that arrow literally took me five seconds to shoot. To shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> like my dot. I remember I watching my dot. Once I saw yellow over top of the dot, that's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All coaching aside, that was like, just get rid of that arrow as fast as I it's can. Inside the seven ring, go ahead and let it rip. Let it rip. That's the awesome. one thing that I remember the most is the story you told about fixing your arrows for that final. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. Where you I tell that we've told so that. So many customers. We've told that here a couple times yeah. already. Why don't you talk about that real quick? And for, Have we talked about it before? Yeah. yeah, yeah on the, yeah, on the podcast? Short, oh, we don't have to rehab. Short version of it, I had an arrow that was cracked on the front end so i took and trimmed that piece off took another arrow chunk slid what i cut off a chunk that equaled the same like i cut off slid that over the point and then glued the point back yeah. in basically he sleeved his arrow so i re yeah just made the it was i needed one, another two. arrow it was a three piece three piece arrow shaft instead of two and one world cup with it yeah i shot that one in the finals yeah it works well and the reason we tell people this we use that story a lot with customers is that you know you get them customers that come in and are cutting their glue and then weighing the grain weight because they want everything within a grain and you know and you, you, people don't realize that you can still shoot a great score with a very inadequately tuned arrow um, i think you had told the story about cousins when he got those prototype arrows that were oh yeah junk and mm -hmm. one didn't he win like a oh, outdoor he, world? no he just shot well i at least the way the story goes he just went and shot what he equaled to like 10 or 12 points higher than the world, the record, world record at the time with with the very substandard arrows mm -hmm. yeah. yeah you always said yeah, equipment wise you can shoot really well with a badly tuned oh, bow it's unbelievable as long as you I, move I, your sight as long as you thank goodness for those sights and those veins those are the two things that equalize everything that's bad yeah. that could be bad in archery those 400 knobs exactly use them <clears throat> move them so after the world cup i know you signed a big monster deal with matthews after that well, I so I beforehand. So at the end of 2013, after I'd made the after I'd made the World Cup team, made the the senior USAT was when I signed my deal with Matthews. Okay. So I was shooting them at the beginning indoor for 2013, beginning of the 2014 season, right? Basically, so so you know to ask a question, kind of a sidebar to that, you got a lot of young people that listen to this podcast, um, a lot of shooters what what's your opinion on like the sponsorship road how do you get there i mean what's what's your advice to give those those shooters win <laughs> i knew he's gonna say that i mean well i mean that's the short easy answer i mean nowadays it's different i mean not that we didn't have social media back then because obviously we did but that's just such an integral part of it now right that i am absolutely horrible at but Back then, I, I mean, I was lucky enough to have a good relationship with Braden, who was, you know, was and still is in high standing over Matthews. So right. um, he helped influence Derek a little bit, I'm sure, to some degree. Um, and then just, you know, me 
just getting exposure because I, I mean i literally won almost every junior tournament i went to yeah and granted 2013 i wasn't shooting junior i shot senior at everything right or i would shoot junior at a couple of them because i think that i did qualify for a world championship team right but your junior score score still scout still counted towards your senior you said right so i mean i would go and win the junior division by 10 or 12 points and you know place in the top two or three in the men's in the men's yeah on top of that, so yeah. but when you, you created a lot of monsters, everybody out there wanted to beat Bridger, mm-hmm. and now you have all these people out there that are just I don't know about that, but I mean, I remember beating up on a bunch of little kids, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But those little kids are now grown up, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's a couple of us that I remember shooting with. I remember shooting, well, I mean, Danny's a couple years younger than I am. That picture and then, of you and Stefan. But, yeah, I remember shooting with How Stephen. How big was Stephen? Like five nothing, dude. He, He's like my height. He could have, I, he could have jumped through one leg hole in my pants <laughs> when I first met him in two thousand. Because oh, he was skinny, dude. The first time I met him was in uh, Poland in two thousand nine. Yeah. So, first time I met him was there, and uh, yeah, he was crazy small. Yeah. I mean, he's still he's a small, dude. Anyways, but. Yeah, he was super tiny. <laughs> so, shooting internationally like that, traveling as a, what, 15, 16-year-old kid, you know, on the world stage, essentially. There's one thing I know about you, but I want you to talk through it a little bit. Nerves never got to you? I mean, yeah, but I don't know. What's the point of doing it if you're not nervous to some degree? Not, I guess, not necessarily nervous, but, like, if you're not getting some some sort of adrenaline dump or something yeah. out of it like that like what's the point of doing yeah, it? yeah then it's no fun yeah so that and you know shooting the finals events and stuff like obviously it's nice to win because you can win money but uh i don't know i like putting on a good show too yeah yeah archery is boring enough to watch i don't <laughs> yeah. need to make like i don't need to make it any it i don't have to try very hard to make it worse yeah no kidding but yeah. so like even if i don't shoot well like or don't win if i can still shoot well enough or make do something make it interesting right you know so well that's the part that's lacking in the sport tremendously is that you talk about it all the time the emotion yeah the emotion the the uh, the characterization that goes into the the whole tournament experience it's just not there because i think we because we're archery reminds me of golf so much it's scary that we're we have been brought up and trained to even to the point that you sat for a lot of years until recently it was white pants or gray pants or khakis it, well like back in the night it was like 80s and 90s it was all all, all white. white all white yeah That's like wimbledon yeah yeah so and then it and relaxed they, to khaki i think talk no so they went to no denim and then three years ago three two years, years ago yeah. they changed it to where you can wear denim now yeah. for world archery that's still legal yeah like yeah. world archery it's still no or if you're in championship division or i mean if you're in or does it just that's period? NF that's NFA. NFA. Okay, gotcha. NFA. There's no so there's no pro pro or amateur class. Right, exactly. In USA They're all or considered World amateurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Until you, so, get, until you get your ass beat by a pro. Yeah, there you go. But so you but you just got it to the point where you can wear denim now. And if I'm not mistaken, is camo now allowed on your bow or something? Are you allowed to wear a hat camo or? you can have camo on your bow in USA archery, but you can't have it in world archery. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. world archery still is no camo. No camo, uh, no camo accessories. No, dude. I remember. So Justin Carter shoots in the pro class. He ended up going to 
indoor world championships when it was in Ankara. Yeah. Because myself, Braden, and Jesse all backed out because like the week before the tournament, a bunch of, bunch of dudes blew up a tourist bus no. so, like in town. So we're like, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> what year was but, that? Uh, yeah, it's 16, maybe. Okay. 16 or 17, something like that. Yeah, just, I think it was 16. But anyways, we, so we ended up not going. He had that, he was shooting a camo chill X and they had to go to a store and buy spray paint and spray, spray paint. paint it. No mm-hmm. kidding. They'd rather have a spray painted bow than, yeah. than I would have made that camo. bow ugly as sin. Just, yeah, I had to. I mean, it was a rattle can from a, <laughs> uh, a from a store in Turkey. From a store in Turkey, I'm sure it's not going to be. Regardless of what you paint, it's not going to look that great. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So when I went to Worlds, I had that. I had a camel wrist strap that I had taken the release off of it. Yeah, and I had Jerry rigged it to use a handheld, and they made me paint over it. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and I, I used a paint marker. And every time I'd anchor, that's all I smelled. That black. Oh, oh man. Gets you the, yeah, I was I was feeling really well. That's hilarious. But yeah, no, they they did relax a lot of their a lot of their rules. Denim, you can even wear yoga pants now. Yeah, yeah at um, least here in at least here in the U.S. for kilts. Yeah. Huh? A lot of a lot of the pair of guys wear kilts. The, I don't think the kilts were ever illegal because that one dude always wears a kilt at every oh, shoot. Oh yeah, the, the one the barebow shooter. He's a compound guy. Okay. I've seen Demer wear kilt before. I thought. I know Demer's worn. John's worn. Yeah, yeah, Demer wears everything. Demers, yeah, he's crazy as it is. But yeah. I know the pair of guys always like to wear kilts together. Really? Which is funny. I've yeah. seen Train. Didn't Trainwreck wear one yep. one year? He's worn a kilt. Oh yeah. Keith Sakura. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah those that's guys. hilarious. So but, you, um, from a competitive side, I know you are tend to be a little bit more hyper competitive than some of the other guys on tour. Would you think? Yeah, I, mean, I don't. I mean, I guess depending, depending yeah. the situation. He don't I, don't want, he don't I mean, want, he don't want to talk about this. <laughs> Just your intensity. He's fine. Oh well, I mean, when it You're comes an to bow, competitor, when it comes to bows and stuff, because yeah. well, I mean, I've been doing it for twenty years. I yeah. should know what the hell I'm doing yeah. for the most part. So, so your expectation fr- is way up here, and you don't hit that, you get really high. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I'm not practicing a lot or something like that, like I know how long and what I need to do to get back to where I need to be. Right, so, right. but if I'm, if I know I'm supposed to be shooting well or something and like, shit's just not working yeah, is when it, you know, gets at me. Right. And I mean, don't do this at home if you're a kid or whatever, but I mean, I, I'm notorious for Chunk hucking my release cross yeah. yard or we all do that. You get a bad shot. You, just emotion takes over. You I'm pull that arrow that. out and I'm make never, sure it never, never misses do- again. I never do that kind of stuff ever. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. But, but it's, it's, I mean, if it's if, gotten better, yeah. I think over over the last couple of years. I mean, well, I can tell you why. Well, no, it's gotten better in like last six months. No, yeah. it's not just that. But oh, yeah, I that. think I think his his maturity level has increased Odd, as he got older. Oddly enough, I'm damn near twenty seven. I'm finally almost mature. Maybe almost kind of. Dude, I'm probably not. I'm 52 and it doesn't. It, no. it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't I was work. about to say I'm about to be 38 and might as well be 18. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it happens. You'll you'll get there. I think. But we'll get there. I mean, we'll let you know, dude. If the number one golfer can take a three iron and like tomahawk okay. it into a lake, like yeah. and that's that snapping arrow. On yeah. Half. Like, well, you know, and that's what yeah. we to go kind of circle back where we're talking is that you know the emotion and the lack of emotion in the sport is somewhat 
I think holds us back a lot. Yeah. Um, people want just don't want to see robots. To your point, it's boring enough to watch people fling carbon tubes. Um, I think that inflecting some raw emotion into the sport is in desperate need to correct to make it mainstream. I mean, you know, we compete as athletes and in, in other events and other sports and look at it. I mean, you, seriously, NASCAR, they try to kill each other in, 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 in metal cans that yeah. are driving extremely high speeds. And when they wreck, they want to get out of the car and go whip the guy that wrecked them. I mean, we see it yeah. every week weekend. I'm, you look at basketball games, baseball games, they're bench clearing brawls. And I'm not saying that we're not, I'm not advocating that, but let's be honest. We go to the hockey games, we go to football. Yeah. We as a society embrace violence. Uh, it's just reality. And it makes for really good TV. All right. Next time, next London this weekend, if I get a kick out, I'm taking my back bar off. There you go. <laughs> Chucking it. <laughs> clubbing them. There you go. No, but I mean, uh, and I saw, I don't know, you were one of the first guys I have ever seen to make a, to show some pretty raw emotion on the field. Yeah. It happens. So, I remember yeah. that the explanation you gave me one time, it stuck with me. If, if you ask Tiger Woods, you're coming off a bad round and you say, Hey, it's good, man. You know, you, you did well. At least you're a pro. You'd yeah, probably still be pretty upset. Yeah, probably. I mean, everybody's everybody's expectations should be different. Now, like, I'm not saying if you're, you know, I talked about snapping arrows in half or you know, sending a release down the lane, but you know, and then I'll have people say like, "Well, yeah, man, but you still shot a, you know, if it's an indoor round, ah, you still shot a 299 or a 300." It's like, well, I know, but like. Everybody else I shoot against does it all the time with, you know, 28, 29, 30 X's. Right. Like my, my, my bar is a little bit in a little bit different spot than everybody else's. So, you know, it may look weird to, you know, an amateur or somebody that's not as competitive or not as proficient of a shooter to see like a pro or somebody getting upset over shooting a good score to them. Yeah. Well, but it goes back to that. And like, once again, I'm not, we're not advocating you know, losing your cool. But at the end of the day, when you're shooting at that high of a level and you have that kind of an expectation on yourself, um, it, it, it gets frustrating. It does. I mean, I, I don't care who you are. And honestly, yeah. if you're not frustrated, you're probably not in it for the right reasons. I mean, I've, I have always said that, that I think that there is some level of emotion that is required to, to drive the furnace or to heat the furnace. I mean, yeah. to keep it yeah. going. And I, I always get a kick out of the, sports psychologists and the other you know brains brain specialists who say you know well he doesn't have control of his emotions and that's why he's not shooting well on this and i think that's horse crap <laughs> Big brain. yeah no kidding no, yeah but i mean uh, i mean some of it because you do have to be in control a little bit but i mean me being at a tournament and making a bad shot and you know being a little bit cool is a little different than me being at home trying to work on my stuff yeah yeah. And, you know, make it a bad shot and not, you know, not getting upset about it. Yeah. Like, obviously, a good idea. Keep your cool a little bit in the tournament so you can, because you got another arrow oh, after that, fly, usually, yeah. usually that you can, you know, either try and make up or, you know, try and stop the bleeding right. with. But, you know, if you're trying to figure stuff out, like, and you're just not, and you don't care, like, you're never going to figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. At least don't have, at least for me, anyways, I don't have the motivation to figure it out. Like, if it doesn't upset me or doesn't, you know, it doesn't drive me to want to fix it. Right. Why are you doing it then? Yeah. So 
let's talk through a little bit. I mean, right now you're getting ready for London. I know you've been out shooting the last two or three days. Um, how are you preparing for that tournament right now? I know you had to go back in and you probably switched your bow a hundred times. It seems like already in the last six months, all the yeah. different events. Well, I mean, actually for probably one of the first times in my career, I've actually got two bows set up for different disciplines. Yeah. Cause I, my feet of, or my feet of bow, my field bow that I got, that I shot in uh Redding and everything that I got set up with pro tours. I, I think set up shooting crazy good. So I didn't want to mess with it, you know, with, field nationals and OPA and a couple other field shoots coming up. So I got my other 36 in, I actually set it up for only 3d. So that way I can keep everything the same gotcha. on one bow and the other one. So are you not, finding those two bows shooting differently, even though they're the same? Um, I mean, slightly yeah. just cause I'm tuned, I'm having to tune them different. Gotcha. Um, I've got this one set up slightly different to try and keep, you know, my rest alignment, my cable guard and everything in the same spot to give it as close of a feel as I can. Right. Um, but I mean, everything's measured and it's, I mean, this, it's as close as I've ever had two bows be normally I'll have one bow set up and that's the one I'm shooting. And the other one is like literally only paper tuned <laughs> because I would pick it up and just like not get along with it. Right. And, you know, and that's even going through and measuring everything, you know, just, just because you know every bow has a little bit you know the riser may be different have because of the different paint job or just something funky yeah. about it limb deflection slightly different different string material material or different color can even cause that string to feel a little different change your holding weight right a lot of other stuff so um but and you know this one i we got a draw board and good scales and everything here right. so i was able to measure everything but even then, a lot of times stuff can be slightly different. Right. So, because I've still had to make some changes on this one to get it, get it to where it need to be. Because right. I was within, you know, a thirty second or a sixty fourth on the draw length difference, and the holding weight was exactly the same. And I still had to go in and change my, you know, twist my cables, move right. the string around a little bit to get get the feel of the bow right. Right. So when you when you pick one up feel wise, they're pretty darn identical. You're mm -hmm. not changing they're anything with your anchor point or your shot process mm -hmm. and stuff. Gotcha. So what have you been practicing when you're outside shooting right now? Right now, because I always shoot a low eight on that damn bore. <laughs> I've got one of those out there and then another chamois. Uh, and really, I've just been working on A, that bore, and B, just make sure my side tape's good Gotcha for that one. So and shooting the black targets because that, that shoot is always notoriously dark. Yeah. Um, it's... Everybody always told me it was the worst one to go to to not go to it if yeah. I was going to skip one. I think I went a couple of years ago and it was the first year they. I don't think it's as bad as everybody says it is. Right. And I'm I'm shooting like a 25 millimeter scope housing too yeah. with a tiny peep. So <laughs> right. everybody talks about not being able to see, but I mean stakes were inside the line or inside the tree line, and I didn't have too big of an issue. Gotcha. Last couple of years, so. Um, I so, mean, it, it is definitely darker than like than most events. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely darker than like a, a Paris or Foley or right. Metropolis stuff like that. Right. But so you mentioned shooting a low eight all the time on that bore. You know, how do you approach that target? Uh, and you got to be. I mean, because that's I'm, one of those targets that's in your head. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just shooting at it right now. I mean, I've. For me, that one's weird because I always feel like I'm aiming like at the 14 ring to shoot at the lower 12 because <laughs> I see I'm so used to seeing the bottom of the 
the insert line. Right. Usually the core, I mean, on a black target, if I see anything, it's going to be the core line. The generally. core line. Yeah. And I can see the core line on that. And I just instinctively go hit like an inch above that, which ends up being an inch underneath the 12. Yeah. So just kind of been just training myself to aim higher on it. Um, you know, I'll shoot one or two arrows at the lower and then try and aim at the upper. Right. Just to try and get practice on both. So I know, you right. know, cause inevitably somebody in our, you know, if I'm third or fourth up, there's going to be two. at least one arrow in that lower 12. Right. If not more, depending on what line, you know, which order we're shooting in, who's in front of me, how, how far away the target is. Right. I mean, if it's a 20, 20 or 30 yard target, and I'm third or fourth, it's, like it's going to be filled. I'm almost always going to have to shoot at the upper unless yeah. somebody else shoots at the upper, you <clears> know, you the, one of the first two guys, All right. you know, leaving the lower close. So, yeah. um, cause I mean, hell we had at the classic last year, we had an 18 and a half or 19 yard target. What? In the pro mm -hmm. field? Wow. So I'm mean, like, luckily I shot first on that was it, one. Was it a quick question? Was it a big one? Like a mule it was deer? a Panther. Well, black panther yeah but i mean i literally drew back and like was pointing at the lower 12 and couldn't see the top of the 10 ring <laughs> in my scope housing we're so damn close wow yeah that's crazy so bridger does things a little different and i know we we talk a lot about when i'm coaching these kids especially on the 3d side um i, I play a lot of math mm -hmm. because i'm not confident enough in my shot process or execution of the shot. So I do a lot of what I call math where we'll, you know, at a 50 yard target, we'll sight it in for 52. I'll dial add or, it for 52. Take and, a little yeah, off. And, and, and aim safe, you know, and let math do the work of moving the arrow. You, I know I've, I've, I've talked to you a lot about this and from a standpoint of what you do, and it's funny, you just aim at all of them. I aim at every single one of them. Every one of them. I mean, now granted, I haven't been in a shoot off, so I don't, maybe I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but. <laughs> I mean, for me, generally my miss on 3D targets is always high. Like I'll get weak in the shot because I'm getting soft on the aim and I'll, I'll put it two inches above the, above the 12 ring. So yeah. I, I put it on the number and I aim at almost every single one of them. Right. And you probably, if your tendency is to shoot high, you're aiming at all lowers. I'm yeah. Assuming. Yeah. The on, only time I shoot at an upper is if the lower is full. If the lower is full. <laughs> or right. if I have a ridiculously good mark on an upper. Gotcha. So yeah, I, I almost always aim lowers. Yeah. So, That's interesting. Yeah, so there's a different school of thought. And I've heard a lot of guys talk about that. You know, you talk with a lot of the pros and people that shoot a lot. And I'd say, what, 70% of you probably are shooting that probably. way. Probably. Just aim at every single one of and them. I mean, not not to, like, brag or anything, but, like, most of us, if we're having a good day, like, it's – I could draw back and keep my pin on a 12 ring. Like, yeah. that's not out of the question to do. Right. So, I mean, yesterday felt – shooting pretty good felt pretty good outside when the wind wasn't blowing i was at 50, shooting 50 52 yards yeah. and you know i could hold the dot inside the 12 ring right. or at least over the 12 ring it's not inside it because yeah. i can't see that far but yeah i mean i think that the, the other school of thought comes from shooting unknown because i shot unknown forever you know mm -hmm. growing up and i you you learn how to not be confident in your mark and aim safe and pray well i mean and <laughs> then you can still hang a 10 you know if you're over or under you know and that's how I, you know i talked to levi about it levi does that a lot you know yeah you get a 50 well, but yard I mean, have a lean it's, a bomb it's different because i mean perkins isn't playing playing at a yard take a yard Ooh, to shoot 50 up dude <laughs> like i mean that just it's just not happening right. so it's the only way you can compete but if you're in the unknown class where 
you know, if Levi or Dan has an unbelievable day, mm-hmm. you know, an unbelievable weekend, they shoot, you know, 20, somewhere between 20 and 30 up and Correct. everybody's losing their brains, you know, and second place is eight up. Eight up. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, we got to shoot generally 36 is always 36, 38 up always seems to be the cutoff. And I mean, that's still hitting almost 50, just shy of 50% of 12. Yeah, that's half of them. I mean, you got to hit half of them basically to make yeah. a shoot down. Yeah. I mean, you ain't nobody hitting half their, ain't nobody hitting half of their arrows inside the, the twelve ring by playing give some take some right on it. Like you're gunning at it. Oh yeah, yeah. So going after every one of them, that's for sure. Um, why don't you take a second and talk through? I don't know if you want to grab it or, or um, talk through your setup and what you're shooting coming up in this yeah. week. So I mean, I I'm shooting still shooting a thirty six, and you're shooting an elite, shooting the elite Bridgers on the elite shoot. factory staff. So shooting uh, the result 36, which is new this year. Um, I've set mine up a little bit different. So I don't run a string stop on mine. Um, for whatever reason, for me, anytime if a bow's longer axle axle than 35 inches or shooting faster than, you know, 260-ish, yeah. um, I almost always have to take that string stop off to right. get rid of a high-low miss. I think for me, some of it's probably because I build my strings too big and have my knocks too tight, but I always get a really bad knock low. And then once I fix that through paper, then I always get weird high-low misses. Right. Well, so for those of us who have shot archery for a long time, target-wise, we never shot string, string stops yeah. back in the well, day. And, and like a lot of, I think it's an older school thought set up because like I, I do, I watch, I've talked to Rio and Dave and a couple other guys about it and all of them shoot without them for their outdoor setups and only shoot them for inside with heavy arrows. And you know, a lot of the younger guys, guys that are more my age are shooting, you know, leaving them on there. Right. But with newer rests and stuff, I still shoot a blade, a blade lizard tongue rest. Um, you know, if you were to throw a hamski on there, or you know a limb driven something like that right. like it would take care of it yeah but well a lot of you know the school of thought there is uh, is is basically just making sure you have unimpeded knock travel mm-hmm. people don't realize how much that string moves east yeah. and west and how far up it goes and so, to but, get that release perfect every single time yeah. a lot of guys say you hit that string stop you're stopping the string from getting through its natural cycle mm-hmm. and abruptly and depending on it's, grip torque or wherever grip you hit torque that. And how tight your knock point, knock is. point is yeah so like it can cause a little knock low and yeah but and i'm also coming coming off of i cut my teeth on, on <laughs> yeah i cut my teeth on a you know the vanagelite and vanagelite plus from white yeah. and then into the c4 yeah and like i remember Dwayne price telling a story one time he decided to try a half inch shorter cam on a c4 and went to a super long d loop to get because get, get away from some face pressure yeah and to tell you how much string oscillation that thing has the first like he shot three arrows like it shot one arrow and the bow like bang, made the weirdest noise ever looked down his d loop came forward so far it came around and like flipped and hooked onto his rest oh and wow. stopped the string right there and stopped like hooked the string <laughs> that's cool. he's like what the hell and he grabbed it popped it off drew back gimp shot same thing wow he did it like three or four times in a row and that i mean you got to think your rest that's seven inch brace that oh, yeah. rest is you know four inches in front of your exactly <laughs> in front of your string that is hilarious and that thing is coming clear the way forward and hooking onto it yeah. so i mean i'm used to bows that do that right. 
you know, well, and I have that, that, you know, heavy string oscillation. Well, so to guys, me, it doesn't bother at all. So the one thing, if you try that at home, um, and I think I, I've done it both ways and some bows I've shot a better group at 50 yards with it sometimes without, and yeah, I'll, every, I'll let that rule the roost for me. But you know, what's funny. Most people can't handle a, the noise and the B, the feedback mm -hmm. because it makes the bow vibrate and sound like a tuning fork or, I mean, or everybody or will get blast hit, the crap yeah, out of get their hit, arm. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm going to go home and take them all off. You know, try it, honestly. Because if you see, see how I think it if the bow likes it, you, you give it what it wants. Mm -hmm. But there are some guys that are old school. You know, him is, is a great example that just, you know, just start from um, there because what, yeah. what you know, what you like. Almost every bow I shot, I took that had one on there, I took it off. Yeah. So the only bow I left it on was my uh, Halon X at 35. Halon inch. X 35, yeah. So everything else, I've always taken them off. Gotcha. So take it off and put something else in there. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> we'll see so that along that second. same line. So I, when I first started shooting long bars, I remember getting set up with bee stingers by uh, Blair Sandberg. When I first started shooting bee stingers, I guess would I guess it would have been because I used to do the the old school Dave Cousins thing. Like when I went indoor indoor nationals, I had a thirty inch front bar with two ounces on the front. And a 10 inch sidebar literally straight out at a 90 degree <laughs> angle with like five ounces on it. Really? It's, and that's how I won indoor, indoor nationals was set my bars, bars up like that. And then later that year, you know, sometime down the road, uh, Blair Sandberg, you know, cause he had B singer and then they came out with their long bars and changed the stabilizer game for, I mean, really they're the kind of the granddaddy of modern stabilizers. 100%. Um, started getting set up with that and i i always ran my weight directly below my grip no down angle on the front bar no having my back bar mounted on the lower mounting bracket i just was got so used to having that higher center of gravity on the bow that a lot of bows it was tough for me to shoot or i'd have to do weird stuff with my back mm -hmm. bars to get the weight back up right because on a lot of new bows now the only place to mount your back bar is on a low mount on a low mount so yeah. even yeah. even on the 36 <clears throat> The high mount for the rear bar it's still is still low. about three inches underneath the bottom mm -hmm. of the grip or three inches underneath the the front bar mount. Right. So I'm not shooting a string stop anyways. <laughs> so I <laughs> oh, uh I, <laughs> I just took some took a thread cutter, cut threads into where the string stop hole is, and that's where I got yeah. my back bar mounted too. And that that puts it right in line with the back or with the front bar. Yeah. Exactly where I've shot almost all almost ninety, probably ninety-five percent. Yeah. Of all the bows I've ever shot, uh, I'm just going to tell everybody this because I love watching this guy and uh, um, going to Frankenstein mode, dude. I'm telling you. So those who don't know, I'm just going to go ahead and put the cat out of the bag now. While Bridger is in setup mode for his bows, there is a Dremel tool, a file, oh, taps and dies right at his disposal, and it sounds like a, a, a Tim the Tool Man power center going on. Yeah, don't forget a couple a couple uh, Home Depot bags. Home well. Depot bags. No, I'm, it's Home unbelievable. Depot bag. Hey, he, man. He, he, him and a Dremel tool. He, if there's one sponsor you need is Dremel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you hear hey. that, guys? Dremel. Because he, uh, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, he, Dude, he was I mean, the other day, he had his brand spanking new um, uh, Elite Result. And he is, and he takes the. Uh, I didn't even the, check the draw the, stops. He doesn't do anything. He takes them, puts them straight in the vise, and he's ovaling out the draw stops because they normally have there have graduated correct um, set for the set screws. Mm -hmm. Get rid of all that. And I was sitting there watching him, thinking, he ain't shot that damn thing yet. I literally, <laughs> I think I drew back to time it. 
I drew back time it at ninety yeah. percent, and then oh, yeah. well, the Blue Victory. Remember oh, the before Victory you went to I OPA built? last year, and you sat there and created your own stops. Well, that on was it. that oh, was yeah. before. No, I shot those. They actually work. That was before. Actually, that was before Indoor Nationals. Right yeah. before old COVID started because yeah, that, that was, was the first shoot that I was going to shoot those at was with my cable. Stops I will never forget. Yeah. He comes flying through the shop and he's like, dude, I got the greatest idea. And I went to go check where his, his, uh, we where there was a hole stuff, yeah. that was going to stop right out his, on his, on his cam, on his, on his cam, on his limb or on the string, excuse me, the cable. And he went in and custom fabricated out of pieces of sheet metal, a, a string stop, basically. They're, they're cable stops. Cable stops, thing, excuse yeah. me. And dude, I shot them on my on my uh, ritual. Mm-hmm. They're no joke. At first, one Feel thing good, that man. They are. I mean, they just just. I mean, a lot of guys shoot limb stops really well, um, and that's one nice thing about this. I don't have to poke extra holes in this one to do that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, for me, I I'm so used to having like the slightest bit of give, yeah. and a lot of us probably from shooting that C4 because that thing, like, if you'd hit the back wall and then you could go another inch, inch. past it if you needed oh, yeah. to. Yeah. But. I was so used to having a little bit of give that I, I felt like I needed that to shoot that bow better. Right. Cause I didn't, I could extend the draw length a little bit to get the full expansion running limb stops, which shot well, but I, it was tough for me to make a good shot because my pin movement was so much right with that little bit longer draw length. I could never really settle in like I wanted to. So talk through that real quick. Like when you get that hard wall that a limb stop does versus a cable stop, I mean, what happens if you are on the limb stop for you? And I, I'm the reason I'm asking Man, is there's so, some people out there probably going to so, think, some, oh my God. Something's got to give. Something's always got to give. Mm-hmm. If you're now, if you're, you know, Kyle or Tim or, you know, a command style shooter, um, for the most part, a limb stop's going to be fine. Like, right. Because you're, you know, if you're not expanding more, extending, you know, to pull through a release or something like that, a lot of times you're not going to have too big, big a problem. Or if you just have a really, if you don't pull nearly as hard. Right. Cause I know like Jacob, he shot the crap out of that, those victories, um, as well as chance guys that shoot hinges, not pulling near as hard yeah, just wait. or just have a softer shot or yeah. have a little bit better feel of the bow. But for me, like when I learned to shoot back tension, I was shooting a, a Hoyt with spiral X's holding 25 pounds. <laughs> so like, I'm so used to pulling super hard at the time was keep the bow full draw. Now I don't shoot nearly that much holding weight because I'm trying to aim more. Right. But I still have that, those tendencies to, you know, pull into the back wall a little harder. So with a limb stop for me, that riser's either turning a little bit or those cables are stretching or like, I just don't have any room. And as I'm, you know, tensing up, tensing up, tensing up, eventually some, you know, it's me that's going to end up moving. Right. And that's, so that's the, when you get pin run. Yep. So yeah. with, for me with a cable stop, I can kind of, there's a little bit of that give, so it'll, you know, it's had just the slightest amount of cushion. Um, so I, I mean, I in just, a, bu- in a I sense just built that, some. That's allowing you to maintain more control over the bow during the shot than the bow going on its own when mm-hmm. it's something really hard. Yeah. Like the hard wall. So, yeah. I mean, it just, it gives you room for error. Yeah. I don't want so much room for error, but it gives that bow room to move. And those cables room to move as you pull through the shot. Yeah. So, like I said, if you're somebody that pulls super hard, generally a cable stop bow is going to be work better. Going to generally work better for you. Yeah. Static shot, you can get away with the, mm-hmm. the limb stops. And and hard I hard. mean the limb stops aim incredibly well, but for me they'd sit there and 
sit there in the middle of the X and as I'm trying to expand and get through the shot, Starts right as it goes, it'll it yeah. just walk its way out. Cause like I said, that bow doesn't have any room to grow or any room to give yeah. anywhere. So, and eventually if you're pulling hard and expanding, something's got to move. Yeah. It definitely going from, from looms to cables helped me out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, you Even know, though- your shot had evolved a lot because think about it you got into archery what three years ago four years ago now yeah and, I, and this is why i coach and teach here because i know it drives this man crazy because we usually start most of our shooters with very little holding weight um limb stops for the most part because i think as you're learning how to shoot a bow you've got to learn how to shoot a bow first mm-hmm. of all it's definitely easier it's easier exactly mm-hmm. you can get in there and you know i watched his girlfriend courtney because progressed through it now be courtney is becoming one heck of a shooter and she started out you know, most females couldn't even hold the bow up here, you know, mm, so yeah. I, I max out their let off. She shot with prime and 85% left oh, Her bow weighs more than mine does now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She, she is more it's weight heavy. But yeah, but she, you know, I think that, and you did the same thing, Jason. I think you started there, but man, you get so much stronger. I've always said it, controlling that front hand, backhand pressure is the key. That is the holy grail. You've learned how to do that now. Which is funny because I, I still shoot, I would say half on command. Like I, I don't, you are. I don't sit there and punch it, but I, I know when my shot's going to go off. Yeah, I give it just enough pressure, just well, enough I mean, pressure, I, and then I'm like, all right, I'm done messing around. Boom. I mean, I consciously rotate my release. Yeah, and that's, I mean, there's, yeah. there's only one way a thumb button goes off, and that's if your thumb pushes the button. Correct. And there's, <laughs> and there's only, only one, one way, way a hinge goes off, and that it has to rotate. Now, yeah, obviously, true. there's a million different ways you can manipulate those two releases right. to make them do what you want them to do, but. I mean, I, for me, that I keep my brain distracted while I'm shooting by thinking about how my release is rotating mm-hmm. so that I know it's going to go off so that I don't freak the hell out and yeah. try and, dump you know, one. dump it. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, and like you say, controlling that front and back pressure on lower holding weight, it's going to be easier to do. Oh, heck yeah. Because you can yeah, relax, kind of feel your muscles a little bit more. Um, and I kind of learned the exact opposite. You I went just, right I, I went from shooting a, a 75% let off came in half plus to getting a spiral X yeah. <laughs> and went literally just dove straight into it. Yeah. That's crazy. So, that's crazy. So you um go back to your stabilizers a little bit. What are you running on weights? I know you're running 30 inch front. What 30 on the front, inch? a 12 on the back. Well, let's, let's bring the bow up here so people can see it. Yeah. I know that obviously the Hold people on. listening to us I'm aren't going to be able to, yeah. I'm going to make a ton it. of noise here. Hold on. Could have got Ryan to get the thing for him. That's okay. He's, We're gonna. He's back there video. I'm like, pretty sure Bridger could use a little, a little stretch. No kidding. I was about ready to go get some coffee. Yeah. Because I'm out. I'm still tired. I'm telling you what. Setting those targets last night was. We got done in an hour and forty minutes. We had a lot of good help, but going to be a good range for sure tomorrow. All right. So I just grabbed this guy. So he like said thirty six. And then you were asking me about bars, right? Yeah, bars. We're talking about bars. Uh, actually, my front thirty inch front, and then I actually have thirteen on the back, not twelve. Yeah, you cut that off. So I, t- I take a fifteen and I cut it down a little with bit the, with the Dremel, I think, right? Yeah, no, I use an Aerosol for that. Oh, an Aerosol. Oh, Aerosol wow. and a blowtorch. Same difference. <laughs> but and for whatever reason, like when I won finals, I ran a thirty three and a fifteen, but I wanted a little bit shorter bars for shooting in the wind, right? That I could run a little bit more weight on. Um, so I, I jumped down to a third, jumped down to a 30 and that 15, I just couldn't put, like, I couldn't put enough weight on it right 
once I stacked it up to get the mat to get the mass weight where I wanted it, I either had way too much in the front or you know had to have way too little in the back to get the right feel, but the mass weight was too low. So I took, you know, cutting three inches out the front. So I just like, oh, what the hell? I'll cut two inches out the back to see how many ounces I can add to it. Right. To be able to do that. And for whatever reason, I cut two inches off and it seemed to work out the first time. So I just stuck with it. Um, So what what he's talking about there real quick is that the longer your bar front and back, the less weight you can run, mm -hmm. the shorter the bar, you have to run more weight to create that leverage. To get, to get the same amount of leverage and same type of feel. So like with a 33 and a 15, um, if I was running this much weight for me anyways, it would, it'd be tough. It's tough for me to move. Now it's correct. Aims well. So it's, it's a slower movement, but right. it's also harder. If I'm not sitting in the middle, it's harder for me to, to get move it back it over there. The, yeah. It's harder to move it back into the <laughs> right. center. Right. Whereas, um, you know, with those longer bars, I'm running lower weight. It was yeah. easy to move around, but it, it just wasn't quite slow enough for gotcha. me. So I want to wait. Uh, I think I got right around 20 on the back. Well, I kind of real quick. Well, me, you can bring it up here. The, People on YouTube can actually see this. Yeah, there's a back bar. I don't even know how many is. That's a custom custom B Singer 13. Correct. I can still see the glue on it. 23. So 23 on the back. And then 23 on the back bar. And then. uh, What's eight? That's six, 10, 14. Yeah, 14, 14 and a third on the front. Yeah. So that's the other thing is I'll use. I had I had uh, uh, Pat cut out some third, third ounce third yeah. ounce weight. So yeah. luckily, aluminum is the same. It, aluminum is a third of the weight of steel in the same size, yeah, so it exactly. makes it easy to make weight. So, so. Why, why don't you talk about that? Because I know some people will sit back right now and go, "Man, there's no way a third of an ounce is making that big of a difference." Hey, man, I don't care if it's juju magic. If I put a third ounce on the front of there and I want it to feel a little bit heavier on the front. It works. And one ounce is too much. A third ounce works, man. Yeah. And you know, I, I've, I've ran because B Stinger came out with third ounce weights probably, I don't know, four, five, six years ago. Right. And I started running them, and I've, I've always had good luck. Now adding a third to the back isn't going to really do right. a whole lot. But on the um, front, it does. When on the front, thirty inches. Yeah, yeah. Putting one, if you think adding one ounce to a ten inch back bar makes a difference adding a third of an ounce to a 30 inch front bar it's makes ratio. the exact yeah makes the exact same amount of difference so it's so um, funny because a lot of people also look at us when we talk about a 32nd or an eighth of an inch on draw length and think we're crazy yeah but i'm telling you when it comes oh, to dude, i'm doing on a dot at 50 meters or whatever I'm, it makes I'm, a difference yeah and i'm, I'm doing half twisting in or out of my cable right. so and then you know that i guess i've never actually measured it so it's to me, it's more of a feel thing, but I don't know. Half a twist on a cable is pr- probably only got to be what, like a 120, 30 seconds of an inch, maybe. Yeah. One or 120 something or yeah. whatever it is. Well, and remember back in the day, we, I would tiller tune, you know, when you had mm-hmm. vertical limbos like your apex, we would tiller them a quarter turn and that would move that string. Oh, dude. Enough. I used to do, just I used to do, sometimes. uh, actually, I remember Erica. And she's the time Eric Jones. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, as she won Gator Cup one year, and I remember fixing her bow timing by doing her tail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, I don't, couldn't believe that it was going to work because oh. she, she thought I was nuts because yeah. she kept this at high low from her cam timing being way off. Her top yeah. cam was, you know, like an eighth inch out or something. Yeah, 
and I just grabbed her bow, took a quarter turn out of the limb, and she <laughs> like wiped the floor with everybody. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, she did that most of the time, most anyways, time anyways. But exactly, um, this is all yeah, stuff so, that a lot of people don't know. No, and but you know what it is? It's kind of like the I call it the the voodoo witch doctor stuff that we've done for years. You know, back in the day. You know, when I was a kid growing up, Bridger's age, you know, our materials were terrible. Yeah. I mean, limb materials were so bad. I mean, and I think it's okay to share this now. A lot of people don't realize, even on the Apex series bows, and I did it. We a lot of people shot seventy pound limbs on the bottom and sixty on top. We did it. Indeed, the first it kept us from having to tiller so much because I used to tiller the crap out of mine. I so mean, the first the first thing I did with all my C fours is I'd pull them out of the box take two and a half turns out of the top limb bolt yep. and then twist up the cable until yep. it hit 60 pounds. And that was my starting exactly. point. Exactly. And that's how you started. Imagine that two turns out. So to, to alleviate that, to allow, to allow us to, to run a, what we call a balanced limb system, yeah. we've run 70 and 60 and we didn't have to do that. Then anymore. You, well, I mean, you're weakening that limb and extending that, correct that top tiller yeah. out. So it's, you're getting the same effect. Yeah. But, and even I'll tell you, even in today's bows for me, so kind of like the string stop for Bridger, I don't care what bow I shoot. I'm a one turnout tiller on my top limb, just by I just do it as soon as I take a, a, a set it up. It's one turnout because I think it's going to create some lift for me because I'm getting old and it's hard for me to hold up like I want to now. And it's I mean you get I mean I do. you get used to the way bows feel and you're trying to kind of mimic that exactly. feel even though you're jumping to a different different model or a different brand exactly. or something like that. And a lot of it There's is psychological. A lot of yeah, that could be uh, yeah. most of it's probably psychological. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I mean, you look at all my bows that I've had set up and shot well and, you know, been successful with all of them have a lot of stuff in common, yeah. you know, between your neutral my bars. Yeah. Between my neutral bars having, you know, the front bar, front back bar being almost basically straight forward, straight back, yep. uh, having that little bit lower peep height because of how I anchor to, yep. you know, you're drawing like holding weight, all oh, yeah. that normal standard stuff like that. But no, it's 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 crazy. Rest positioning, yeah, all that. We stuff. do that because I think it's something we get used to, like he's talking about. No matter what happens, and but it gives us that false sense. It's kind of, of a, it's a base. It's a base. It's a zero. Exactly. It's a zero it's a that zero you can base. set, reset exactly. everything to. I'm over so. here. Yeah, I'm over here cracking up because pro shops are going to hate us. Well, no, that's you're going to have the guys that it's always the bow and not them. Well, you and know what it does drive people crazy it, with all this info. It goes back to the thing that. You know, and I, I have to I have to temper how I deal with a customer on a hunting books, especially. And I know Bridger deals with the same thing when we're talking to customers that you got these guys on YouTube, you got these guys on on podcasts, I'll tell you, that are talking about super tuning their bows, you know, and everything's gotta be perfect. And they don't realize that as a professional archer, if we, you went to go reverse engineer his bow or Braden's or, you know, whoever's shooting it, they are not spec. They're not even I mean, my, close. My bow is literally like my my cables are on there incorrectly. <laughs> like uh, to get the tune that I right. want out of this right. this bow specifically, like I literally I put my cables on backwards and have them crossed incorrectly to get more riser to get, twist right, to get it yeah. the way the tune that I want it to. Yeah, exactly. And that's what so, I'm saying. So I mean, so, it's it's literally built wrong. Exactly. <laughs> to but make it to right make, to, to make it right, right to get it the way I shoot it. There's no to way that the bow way I will, want it to. There's no way it'll shoot a a clean hole. Oh yeah, that thing's money. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, I could bear I could bear shaft one of those things at oh, really? forty yards probably. Damn. But understanding he's not in specification. I mean he's not and that's what drives me bananas. These guys that are that are so O C D on, you know, this has got to be perfect. I mean, everything's perfect on the line, arrow build to the bow. They don't realize that yes, on the computer, on the CAD CAM system, when that engineer designed it, sure, that's that's where it needs to be. 
But when you put the human element in it, mm-hmm. the release, the grip torque, everything else. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. And you've got to super tune that bow to the shooter. So I kind of get a kick out of the guys online. And there's tons of them out there. I don't want to name names. But, you know, send your bow to me and I'll super tune it. And when you get it back, it's going to be amazing. You can't super tune it without that shooter standing in front of you. Because you're super tuning it to you. He puts 10 twists in the cable to give it 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 six extra pounds and And, 12 extra feet per second. And pay $350 (laughs) to $500 to do it. And I know a couple of those guys that are backed up for months. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's hilarious. I thought about doing it to make money. But then I thought, I'm going against everything that I know. Going in, against everything you believe. Am I believing? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, would, and, I would be to, just one of those guys. To be, that, if I you mean, don't want to do it, I'll do it. Be completely transparent. We wouldn't do anything different to, than we normally do to uh-uh. a bow. Uh-uh. I but, mean, your bow's but, either you know, in tune or it's not. But you I mean, that's, well. it's, it's different with a target bow when I'm shooting, you know, 50,000 arrows through it. Exactly. And where a millimeter counts. Right. Mm-hmm. No, well then, but Bridger knows also if we have that shooter standing in front of us. We watch him draw and we watch him anchor. We can keep an eye on his grip and see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And we will be able to, you know, the super tune is taking the bar and maybe shifting it out three degrees and moving it here, moving there, here and there, adding some weight to, to get the bow to do what we want it to do. But you're doing it to the shooter. In conjunction with present. the shooter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That yeah. is super tuning a bow. And then helping him fix the human error as well. You know, you, you look at their form, you fix that, and then oh, you dude, fix the bow. I had a guy in here yesterday. I mean, I, I'm going to give away a tip here, probably. But, you know, he's got an obsession. I think one of the most radical cam, one of the most radical design bows out there. Um, it's a two or three year old model. One of our technicians, two of our technicians actually were fighting with it. And finally, you know, Paige came back and said, hey, you might want to go up there and check on those guys. And see what's happening. I'm not knocking them. They know what they're doing. But I go up there and yeah, he's got a pretty wicked right chair. And I learned this from this guy. I'm, I'm the old school guy, but oh, I went Mark. right up and cut out a piece of plastic off of a, off of a release box you know made me a little shim loosened the cable guard up shoved it down in there to add more load yeah. pressure to the riser a first right, shot bullet hole a little bit of a right tear add a little bit of cable load that's, that's why cool. that's so for me on this bow i struggle with the right tear so that's why i have the cables crossed give it extra give it more load more more, more cable load absolutely yeah. give more turn, cable. just turn and that riser a little more and but you know i and the customer i had to explain to him because he's looking at me like what in the heck are you doing to my bow i mean i'm fabricating a shim yeah um out of a out of a, a, a plastic packaging, box a plastic box and he's and i'm explaining to him what i'm doing and why i'm doing it um because that bow is very limited in what you can do as far as the tune goes without mm-hmm. um shimming the, the the cams and the cams were already shimmed all the way to the right so we were maxed out on everything um, and it's a last ditch effort. We won't do it unless we have to. Right. But it's an easy, very quick fix that that works, you know, big time. So I don't know. That, not to get on our soapbox, but but to go back to your bow. So you're running one thing about Bridger Deaton, too, if you ever notice, and you can look up back at his videos, you run a very neutral stabilizer system. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit more front heavy than I am back heavy mm-hmm. or, you know, like dead level. Yeah. Um, I do remember the when Blair set me up, he was, you know, trying to set me up to where it's dead neutral and everything, and I was just struggling like crazy. And finally, I was like, well, what the hell? Rio's got like 80, 80 pounds on his bow. <laughs> so I literally took like almost every weight I had and bolted Doing them all on there and like ended up shooting pretty well with it. Yeah. So that I've always kind of had a very similar setup ever since then on almost all my bows. Right. So do you think, I know you run that neutral and I'm wondering if you, this is part of you coming out of the, the old school, the apexes where our bows were 37 to 40 inches long, mostly on that 40 side. Mm-hmm. 
where you don't need a lower bar hole because the bow's already got the bow's itself stability. so much weight or there's so much weight above and below yeah. the the grip above and below the grip that I needed that weight to be right next to it exactly. so that I could move it around. Yeah, I mean exactly. I so, mean, I maybe some of it's that. Some of it's probably because when I, you know, first started shooting bar, you know, a long setup, longer stabilizers, and you know, getting more in tune with how to set up stabilizers that nobody had low low, holes. low riser yeah. mounts. No. Jesse was the first guy to do it with that Vantage Elite Plus by drilling it out and everybody yeah. thought he was a maniac for taking a drill and <laughs> In the drilling and do- tapping it, and tap it yeah. drilling and tapping it with a quarter or with a, a five three sixteenths or whatever the drill five sixteen twenty four. Yeah. So everything the only way you could mount your bar was, you know, off the front of the bow and yeah. have your side bar mounted directly behind the front bar yeah. bracket. So um, you know, the first couple bows that I was learning how to set up bars is the only way you could build your bars. Right was having them set up oh, that yeah. way so some of it i'm sure is that um some of it's just just feel, just feel. like you said i shot feel. the i shot the apex eight for a while i shot the c4 for a long time mm-hmm. that one the c4 the lowest you can go is the the quiver bracket and it's an inch and a half under the riser right. or under the grip so yeah you know the only way you could set your bows up was doing it that way or you know taking that back bar and kicking right. it way down but then I, you know, I same type of thing. You kick your bar down. Anytime you change the radius of that, you're effectively shortening that bar. Correct. So, you know, again, having to add a lot more weight or take more weight up the front, changing stuff to where it doesn't feel as comfortable. So um, that's why I've always ran it, ran it this way. And like I said, almost every bow I've had has been set up that way. Yep. I agree. So, so you also run a very different sight system than, yeah, than so, most. You run so, a 29 for everything. I run scope. Yeah. So for for indoor, I sh- indoor and target, I shoot the, I think it's the mini mag, the shrewd mini mag. Uh-huh. Um, Is it 29 that one, millimeter? Yeah. They're right around 30, yeah. somewhere right around there. Um, either that one or the, the true, the specialty. I think it's the versus scope towards yeah. the double vision. Yep. Um, I shot that one for a long time. Um, and now I just have whatever the small CBE one is yeah. and like, like everything else got to have a Dremel tool and all that, all that crap. But I got, <laughs> I literally have the LP bracket oh, I know. molded to the top of it. Cause I, I use a center drill lens Wait, instead I'll, of, I'll have, hold on an, instead of a fiber. Is that, you got to hold it up. Is that so Sugru? No, dude, he's it's no, like so a mini it's, it's, it's a mini volcano. It's, yeah, it, looks, uh, it looks like Sugru. No, it's uh JB hey, Weld. Hey, can you putty. can you like get a close up of this? I people have got to see this. It's hilarious. It works. Hey man, this thing you money. know what? This one this one looks factory though. Typically, yeah, typically lot, got, it is really ugly. My fab <laughs> skills have gotten a lot better throughout <laughs> my illustrious career here. There you go. But yeah, he actually has got that LP light going through the top, and he's so built that little volcano system, which is actually yeah, pretty so I have, amazing. Have it built right here. All that's it's it's a JB weld. I think that one might be the plastic putty, but the the steel steel putty. Yeah, that they have. So what's it's, the purpose? I'm just curious. Well, it's just so I can have that light coming straight down because I use this, so I use a center drill instead of a instead of a fiber a post, yeah. fiber post because I whenever I shot a fiber. Cause I was trying to shoot them for target to get used to it. Shooting for 3d. Every time I'd shoot a fiber, uh, I would always, whatever direction that pin was coming from, that's the shape my group would be in. So uh, if I had an up or down pin, 
my group would be three inches at 50 yard, you know, 50, 40, 50 yards. I'd have three to five inch group just straight up and down if I had an upper down pin and right. coming out of the corners, it'd be, you know, shaped like that. So right. because I always shot a dot on my scope houses. So I, I was so used to centering everything and I didn't have like a, yeah, you know, you got the fiber and everything, but right. I could see that post. So I, I always had a hard time centering it. Uh, and then, so I was talking to clear targets about it and they had at the time they only had their, uh, little tack on dots right? or their, wait, their, their drill phosphorus. Half, yeah. Think. So you yeah. drill halfway through and then that, yep. and then fill it with, uh, uh, you know, the, that whatever that material, material yeah. is, yeah. and it would hold light a little bit, yeah. change colors and all that. So I shot those for a long time with a very similar setup. I had one of those specialty scopes that I popped the hole into and put a light on top of right. and had it shining directly onto the lens, similar to Colby with Colby's ultra view. Ultra view. Yeah, exactly. So he, him so and I kind of, that for a while. Him and I kind of <laughs> started that like at about the same time. Now, obviously we weren't the first ones to do that stuff. No. Like there were guys, Rod Menzer for the longest time, I know had a little magnetic book light that he had stuck to his site that he would shine onto it, yeah. shine onto an orange dot shooting field. Right. So, I mean, we ain't the first ones to do it. I, Colby definitely perfected it with that ultra view, right. but this one's still a little primitive, but it, I mean, it, it works great because I can see all the way around it. So right. it doesn't matter, at least for me, for 3d, it makes sense. Cause it doesn't matter if I'm aiming off another arrow, right. It doesn't matter where it's at. Like right. I'm never going to cover up whatever I'm aiming off of right. with a post. Cause say, say I have an up pin. And somebody else shoots one just underneath the 12, super easy marker, right? Well, if I'm aiming at it and I have an up pin. You can't see it. If I put my pin over the 12 ring, gone. I, that arrow's gone because yeah. it's being covered and up by the post. You know, it's funny you say that because I think I have this habit of doing it because I shoot a post. And, and I tried this a year and a half ago or last year um, with Colby's, actually UltraView, but I didn't like the bleed out of the pin. I got a lot of washout. But. What I loved about it is exactly what you said, because I think I've caught myself shooting around the post. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we like to see what we're aiming at. So I'm sitting there at full draw and I'm looking at that and I see that, like you said, a nut pin and that, where'd that arrow go? And then and I'll, and all like I do is do this, one I'll look around it like this, or I'll move that bow over a little bit. Oh, there it is. And I'll come back mm -hmm. and you'll shoot around that pin and end up what? Two inches right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're screwed. And and even for me, so I, I run a six with a two power or excuse me, a six with a number two clarifier. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm only running the 19 Dude. pin that I don't, I don't mushroom the ends on it. So it's, it's fire. It's fairly it's sharp. Fine. And yeah. I mean, luckily my eyes are bad enough. There's, I'm so uh, nearsighted that I can run a stronger clarifier without having that pin blur out near right. as bad, right. but it's still halfway transparent. I, I'll tell you this guys, I've shot his bow and I don't know. I think it's, I always used to think it's, it's a freaking voodoo, whatever he does, because your scope system is so freaking clear. Everybody, like, I remember Keish now one time picked it up and goes, hey, what's he doing? Why don't I have this? You know, because you're, you're, I, it's clear targets, lens, I think. Clear target one. lens so and good. a number two specialty podium number two clarifier. number two specialty podium clarifier. It is unbelievable how bright and, and vibrant that target is. There's a little bit of pin fuzz. But, but you want a fuzzy pin. But yeah, because, and like I said, I... It's a little bit bigger pin, and I run that larger pin size instead of running a 10 or a 15, which they make. So if you wanted a smaller pin, you can oh, do so it. Oh, so you run a 19. So, I, But, yeah, I run a 19, but I don't mushroom the ends. Right. To try and so keep it slightly 19. smaller. But I run the 19 because it's bigger. It'll collect more light, so it's easier to see, so I can still see it. Um, 
but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's still cool. halfway. It's Can halfway translucent. Let, let Ryan get a picture of that. Yeah, this, me, what that inside gonna, looks like. Well, I want to turn it on here. Yeah, turn it on and look cool. So, I mean, this is like insanely bright, so it's easier to see on camera. But like, even even when I'm shooting a 3D shoot or something, I'm only running. I'm probably only running on like the second or third intensity, intensity setting. Power, yeah. So I, I have it generally shooting 3D and stuff. I have it pretty low. Right. Like I really only want that as like a reference so i can kind of see so around question, it or through it you're on a blonde um large alert deer and you're standing out in the field watching it and it's 12 o'clock noon the sun's shining can you still see that pin on that target uh i mean if it's full out? sun i'll get some washout i gotta bump up the intensity a lot because there's so much ambient light right around um i'll have to bump the intensity a little bit but for the most part unless it's a white target I almost never have any issues seeing no it. issues. Gotcha. And but even on, on even white. on the white, yeah. But I mean, the only one we shoot at that's white is the taper, right? And I can just shoot at the black. Gotcha. Shoot at the other twelve ring. Yeah. Um, and then even like you said, like a deer in the full sun or whatever on on brown, that green looks fantastic. Looks good. Crazy easy to see. Yeah. It's super sharp. Doesn't starburst out or anything. Right. And you so, shoot the CBE Elevate side. Do you, do you like the mm -hmm. carbon bars? You think they're better? Sure. I don't think it matters. You can put a wooden stick on there. I don't think it'd make too big of a difference. Yeah, I, I mean, it's nice saving a little bit of weight, but you really sa you're saving like a couple tenths of an ounce. Yeah. If that. Yeah. So now they, they vibrate less, which is nice. Which right. has always been an issue with any, any target any site out there site, right. as it goes out, you know, you're shooting right. it, it suckers going to shake and your gives are going to loosen up. Your gears are going to get, yeah. get a little sloppy, but so having that carbon bar helps with some of that, yeah. but. So you also shoot the, uh, are you, in, are you in a spot hog swap now? Are you running the yeah. swap systems? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause they're pretty easy. Yeah. I've, I've ran a swap. I've ran spot hogs for yeah, like probably six or seven years now. Yeah. They make a great rest. I just love so, the fact that you don't have to loosen and tighten screws before you make the movement adjustments. Everything's yeah. On a, I, I just everything's on a coarse worm gear and it's, you just turn it and well, move I, it. When I shot the Excel sites, the spot hogs and the Excels match up pretty nice because it's like if you go a half rotation or like one full rotation on the rest, windage adjustment is two full rotations on the side adjustment. Really? So, oh, yeah. I have World Cups and USA stuff and all that stuff. I used to move my rest. I'd be moving my rest in the middle of an end <laughs> during scoring. Oh, yeah. But like, if, yeah. So, like, if I'm, you know, if it's missing a little one way or the other or acting something, you know, acting in the way I don't like, I can literally take, put like quarter turn, say if I'm, I just take, do a quarter turn to the left on the rest, get it to act a little weaker. Yeah. You know, and just do a half turn on the side. On the side it's still hit behind the pin. Money. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, why don't you do me a favor? And we talked about this a little earlier. So, you Ooh. have actually hogged out your, your, um, your string stops, basically your cable. Oh, stops. the cable stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, that's, and you did that so you can fine tune that down to the yeah, 64th of an inch if you want. Yeah. So they, they come in like every, it, to where it's measured out roughly every 5% let off, you know, max 90. Well, you and I both found that. Max too. 90, max 75 or min 75, something right. like that. Um, but now I run the performance mod, so I don't have the 75% mod. Like a lot of guys are shooting on, on right. the results because I, I got short arms and then, I mean, bow shoots great. It's just not a crazy fast bow. Like some of the ones that like the victory X is right. Insanely quick. This one's not quite as fast, but it's a lot easier to shoot. Right. So I run that performance mod. Well, it only comes in a 90% let off. 
So I got to run that out. Well, if I I'm, remember if you I'm and I checked the, it when you moved it one slot, it, what, it went from I some went crazy from I do, so I, I run 16, 16.2 ish yeah. pounds of holding weight. Right. And like on the third mark, I was at like 14.5. And on the outside mark, I was on like 17 and a half. <laughs> right. So I, I was like I, a, a pound and a half either direction. Right. And I couldn't do anything about it. So I, and this was on my old bow. So now this one, I didn't even mess with it. No, I went straight to the straight girl. out. But you know, what's funny. You just, so just I can adjust that. it slightly. So yeah. once again, some people may look at that and go, what? 14 pounds and then 17 and you needed it 16. Uh, it's, it's a pound, you know, it makes but a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, just little, little tiny stuff that, that in all reality to somebody that, that may not know what they're doing or hasn't shot as much like, yeah, it's going to be something like you. Somebody that doesn't have the ability isn't going to notice it. And I'm right. not saying like the end all be all. Like right. I notice everything I change on the bow, but right. like I've shot bows a certain way for ten plus years, and like I I gotta have it set you gotta up duplicate that way. It. Yeah. Gotta duplicate it that way. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's what you know. And I'm we're to most guys would say, okay, I'll just learn to shoot seventeen. But then you're going to spend you know, let's say two, 3,000 arrows to try to learn to hold the 17. And, yeah, it's way easier you're to take five minutes body. and just cut out that Dremel, exactly. cut it out with a Dremel tool. Exactly. <laughs> and, and not find with it. the JD Because honestly, you, you know, with the schedule you shoot, I mean, sometimes you just don't have time. I mean, who wants to spend two or 3,000 arrows trying to learn to, to mm -hmm. add in a pound of holding weight or two pounds less holding weight when you can just, yeah, Dremel it out. And like I said, I'm we're talking about these things because I think they're important to understand that we will take factory equipment and modify, modify it. it so that we can get what we want out of it, essentially. Yeah. And we're well, I mean, Dale Earnhardt ain't out there driving a, a stock no. Chevy Impala, no. like yeah. <laughs> whatever, whoever he drove for at the time, you know? So, and you know, I can't go in and buy Rory, Mc, Rory McElroy's clubs off the right. shelf at Dick's Sporting Goods. Right. You know, so I, and plus, so let's go back to your bow a little bit, because I'm kind of going through every piece of it and just talking about some of the things that I know you and I have done on your equipment, and I know you do a lot. Um, you know, even limb profiling. I mean, you sometimes will take that bow completely apart to reprofile the limbs the way you want them. Yeah, just to change the tune. And, and you know, I do the old school thing. I, I pull everything off the limb. These ones are Lamb. a little harder because it's got the hardware for the limb stops and stuff Correct. like that. But, uh, yeah, I pull everything off and weigh them. Weigh them. And yeah. then that, you know, heavier limbs gonna have more carbon so it's slightly stiffer so that Correct. way you can you know set your profile for everything right and people don't realize that we'll do that a lot we'll take those limbs and put them and shift them in different positions based off what we want that cam to do what we want that tune to look like mm -hmm. to keep us from now the the all the cool thing about elite this year you, you don't you don't have to you don't have to have set system so yeah. i mean like everything else i like I like stuff being down the middle and mm -hmm. tight and everything. So right. I, I still profiled the limbs on this one. And then, so I could keep that set as close as, as, close as possible. Yeah. Mostly not because I'm worried about it moving. Cause I know Nathan has done everything, but throw that bow in the bottom of the lake to <laughs> test that. But I mean, Oh dude, he had it like in a freezer, no, I heard was it was beating it on like, the concrete yeah. was going ballistic on it and yeah. they're bulletproof. But more so so i can have as much adjustment either direction for my starting just in point. case you get an arrow that's acting wonky you can yeah like like this one you know the way i have everything tuned i can run that 25 i'm running super drive 25s and everything is right down the pipe i got right. the set 
Yeah. At least to my starting paper tune was right there. Right. My, I was at, you know, what, whatever factory center shot would be. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't measure it. I just eyeball it. Yeah. But, you know, the rest is that center shot. Cams aren't shifted one way or another. My set's not having to go anything different. My cable cable rod isn't, you know, wide, you know, super far outside or way inside. I can run everything at, you know, super, as close to zero as possible so I have as much room in every direction to tune everything right. the way I want to. So I wanted you, I want to key on something he just said, and I know – I used to do when I first opened the shop. I remember I brought out the levels, you know, the yeah. string level and the arrow level. And I'm all, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it was all for show. I mean, I have never tuned a bow with those ever. So it was kind of weird for me to go back in time and do that. But I it was crazy. It, it added a. I'll never forget a lot of customers. You know, it added a lot of credibility to what you're doing. Oh my gosh, he's so precise. He's using the level. But you heard Bridger say it, and I'm the same way on my stuff. I never, you know, we eyeball everything because we kind of know where it needs mm-hmm. to be. About the only tool I use is a, a stupid recurve tool to set my knocking point before I, yeah. and, but that's, I mean, I set the knocking point before I put the rest or anything on there. Right. Exactly. And the, the stupid recurve tools, the bow square, the square, yeah. bow square. Exactly. I mean, but for me being a new guy watching you do those, those levels, yeah, it was, it was kind of like my, my starting thing. Well, it helps educate you. Correct. And for certain bows, they did come in handy. Like the victories. I mm-hmm. always, I always tuned. Actually, the only thing I used was the arrow level. And I always did a quarter bubble. Quarter bubble. To start. Well, so you know, it's funny because we'll, we'll, you'll hear us talk about quarter half bubbles a lot. And we know what they are visually, you Correct. know what they look like. Yeah. And well, I mean, you and I, we've done thousands, thousands, thousands yeah. of bows, yeah. set knock points. So now it's just about time. It's about a speed thing. It's speed and efficiency because mm-hmm. we're so busy. I, you know, we don't have time. But once again. It's still going to be a good product. hundred percent. I, I will tell you, I can tune one by eyeball better than most measurements. with measurements yeah. by far. I mean, because that's what another thing that a lot of guys I think get really over anal about because honestly, my bows are never really in tune bullet hole wise. I don't, then when I, I finish them, they're not where they're supposed to be. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen guys take that bow square on a recurve and like mm-hmm. measure their limbs and make sure that they're exactly on a certain mark. Or well, this, recurve is a little different. It's, yeah. but, it's a different science. But, I get it, but holy crap but they don't realize how much just moving more finger pressure from here to here that takes all that out of the whack it doesn't mean it doesn't mean nothing or that's why i always tell guys or yeah don't get me started on that but yeah the 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 archery talk post oh i can't get my can't get this bow to tune it's but it's a perfect you know i i gotta have it at a a 32nd of an inch above knock above center to have (laughs) it tuned perfect i was like who cares well, and what gets well, me is, <laughs> what gets me when they do that and they're they talking do. about a hunting bow. Yeah. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, it's a hunting you bow. You don't have to oh. super tune we've a got, hunting bow. We've got 15 customers like that that come in here that are super turning that bow to, to hit a, a, a Nerf football-sized kill zone. Now, and I, we're trying to qualify. I say this all the time. You know, yeah, Bridger's out there shooting a, you know, a dot this big, a, a quarter-sized dot at 80 meters. That matters, you know, and. But ah, even then, and even I mean, then, you don't do that. Be a good ethical hunter. Make sure your stuff's up ah, right. I, but I like, again, and we talked about we talked about this with George. We talked mm-hmm. about it damn near every podcast. Jeez, we talk about yeah. We talk about <laughs> practice. People going ballistic on tuning and all yeah. that shit. Like just yeah, just shoot yeah. your bow. Just practice. Get a good tune. Get a lot more out of so it. So yeah. I want to go back to the elite a little bit. One of their their cool things this year, actually, the last two years has been their set system. So what it's doing is. It allows us, or you as a tuning guy, to to basically pitch that limb pocket 
pitches the pocket, does does the same positions. thing, same exact thing as a, a, a split yoke does. Correct. Except it's so, at the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. And, you're doing it at the pocket with a binary system yeah. instead of having having that slave slave dual right. cam with the the split yokes. Um, Blake Kidder, the regional rep for them here local, we actually tuned when that bow came out last year, we tuned a six hundred spine arrow at 70 pounds and 30 inch in draw length all the way down to a 200 spine arrow just with, by moving just the set. by moving the set system which was pretty amazing because i i will tell you there's not a bow on the another bow on the planet you're tuning this 600 yeah. spine arrow at that kind of at those dimensions it ain't gonna happen so that has made the tuning part of this bow a dream you know i think if you're a shop and you have trouble tuning if you can't tune that one yeah you better find another yeah. source of income <laughs> <laughs> Because it's easy. that's the easiest but. on the planet, without a doubt. And, 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 and Bridger doesn't, you know, like you said, you're trying, you're trying to keep everything run down the middle. You, you know, unless you get to some really wonky arrow spine, you haven't had a need mm -hmm. to do it. Well, do you, and you know, you say wonky arrow spine, like I'm shooting 67 pounds and I, for redding and, you know, for OPA this year and everything, like I'm shooting 67 pounds. I'm shooting a 420 Pro Tour. Yeah. So I shoot crazy weak arrow. That's weak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you prefer, you prefer a weak arrow? I mean, I'm on both sides of the spectrum with this bow because I'm shooting a, those are 420 with 120 grains in the front. Mm -hmm. And I even have a quarter inch cut off the back to weaken them up even more. Yeah. Um, and then I turn around my 3D arrow, I'm shooting a 25, which is two, what is it, 290? Yeah, 290 spine, cut at 20. Five and a half inches that's with 150 stiff. grains in the front. <laughs> that's a log. Yeah. So I mean, I got, yeah. I got spaghetti noodles and rebar. <laughs> like, I, correct. Yeah, I was always, I was always under the impression that it's better to tune a stiff arrow, or it's better well, to shoot a stiff it's arrow better than to, a, You than can a never. Uh, and I, me and Gillingham have talked about this for hours, and I agree with him. You can, you can never be overspined. You can always be underspined. Yeah. I mean, you can tune up. I mean, think about it. We shoot. A 150 spine triple X was one of the most popular arrows Correct. for years, and it's there's not a bow on the planet that theoretically can take it, you know, make it weak. Yeah, and and women shoot it, you know, at, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, I'm sure there there's some truth to that. Obviously, I think I think it's uh, not quite that simple, but for the well, most part, yeah. you know, but can't be too stiff. Easier to be too weak. Yeah, but I, just arrows and bows act differently oh, together for whatever cams. reason like for me if i'm shooting distance a weaker arrow always shoots better for me 100%. or an arrow that's on the weaker side of the spectrum well i agree with that so, i don't think i don't think if you're shooting feta at 50 meters that you need to be shooting a overspined arrow i think you're hurting yourself guilty they're not as they're not as uh they're not as forgiving yeah i mean I don't, for me, whatever reason, I just don't shoot as accurately. Now yeah. I could, like, if I take a super stiff arrow, I can, if I put it on the middle and make a good shot, like it's always going to hit there. Yeah. But when I make, you know, that, those 80% shots or those, the shots that are, they're good shots, but they're just not like a hundred percent perfect. Right. That weaker arrow just seems to act a little bit nicer to me than, right. you know, my misses aren't nearly as big. And that's why, like when I was talking about moving you know, I'd be moving my rest in the middle of a scoring round. I'm literally changing, changing my shit because it's it's act or like I feel like it's acting a certain way. Right. Like if I feel like I'm making really good shots and they're like all in there, and then I make a not necessarily a bad shot, but one that's like not quite as good but should still be there, and it's like out in the seven ring. <laughs> like I'm gonna take that rest and I'm probably gonna move that sucker to the left. Yeah. 
because that arrow is acting super, super stiff. Right. So or at can, least it, to me, it, it, from what I found, it acts, it's acting stiff. Right. You're going to move your rest before you swap arrows or are you going to? Well, I mean, it just, it just depends. I'm looking at more of when, like from a group tuning perspective. Now, if I've, if I've got like five arrows in the X ring and one of the seven, I'm probably going to check that arrow. Yeah. But, yeah. or check his head. It could yeah. be. I mean, Look that's something release. that's something that I learned. Something that I, yeah, that I, I mean, always you do. Sh- you should always check your arrows because I almost didn't make a world championship team because I didn't check my arrows. Really? Yeah, yeah I was shoot. We were shooting round robins in Sacramento for the the world championships for China mm-hmm. in 2013, and I think I was shooting against Chris B actually, but I had one. I shot shot like a ten or nine, just low, and then drew back on my second arrow and missed. Like shot one like a foot underneath the paper and i'm like what the and like freaking out so i grab my i like not even gonna dig with it i run back set that bow down grab my other one that i had shot like 10 arrows with to make sure it was on the paper drew back shot shot like a six high oh no and i'm like oh my god and i'm like (laughs) looking at my primary bow and i'm like freaking out because i don't know why that what the hell happened walk down there that arrow freaking had a vein fall off. Wow. That one that was that was super low. Vein was loose, you didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Didn't check it. Had a vein fly off, hit missed, shot a zero. Almost didn't make the team because Yeah, that's crazy. Hey, Bridger Bridger hooked me up at at uh outdoors two years ago. When I shot and one of the veins flew off and he came over and grabbed my arrow and stripped it. It's like that way you're shoot not it. gonna you're not gonna shoot it. Exactly. Go, yeah, I learned my lesson. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I learned my freaking Make, lesson. Take it man. out of the take it out of the mix. That's yeah, for sure. I mean, there's guys that I know that there's there's a story you know with Matt Matt Stutzman. He had a cracked knock and wound up losing his his uh, match in the Paralympics all because yeah. of a cracked knock. Cracked. Hey man, I I had a I had one of my Halon X's. I'm pretty sure I broke that bow because I shot a crack knock with it. I was shooting a field round and was clean. I'd only missed like four or five X's the whole day. Right. And shot once and that sucker sounded like a gun going off. Mm-hmm. And I had crack had a crack, crack knock, just not checking knock, it. And yeah. that bow never yeah. shot the same after that. After that, yeah. So what really you're a hen shooter, mm-hmm. right? You shoot a hinge. Um you bet you were in a Scott which I still I still run the old Pro Advantage. Old Pro Advantage. The old yeah. Longhorn Pro Advantage. Yeah. That's one of the best ones ever made, in my opinion. So that's for sure. You haven't modified that one yet, have you? No. I actually I haven't done absolutely nothing no to that one. Absolutely nothing. It he used to be a true ball stock. guy. And I'm telling you, his true ball all HT, the HBCs and the and HBCs, it didn't I used to come well, I basically come all down to fat, to match that handle. Honestly, for the most you do. Part. Yeah, you're right. You used to thin that handle out big mm-hmm. time on on those releases. That's crazy. <laughs> um Anything else in your setup is kind of unique, unique to you, or are you pretty much after that running pretty? Uh, there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing stock about his bow. What's your FOC? <laughs> Honest God, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. I just had to throw that in there. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. We figured out mine the other night. Yeah, that was actually nine, nine, nine percent. Yeah, that I honestly, I've never measured it. I just, I just measured. If you're hitting you know, the middle. Many, well, yeah, here's, I just here's measure how many times my bow hits where I'm aiming and how and fast it's going. <laughs> so along with your 29 millimeter, let's talk about this real quick. Your peep aperture size, so re- you're running tiny. Eighth inch. Yeah, so it's no smaller no, than that. 30 second. Uh, 132nd, yeah. 132nd, yeah. Not the smallest one, the 
I think it's second. Sixty fourth is the smallest, so it's the next one up. I think yeah. it's thirty second. Yeah, it's small for sure. Um, but I tell you, it works for that system. Like I said, he's got the clearest sight system I think I've ever seen. That's for dang sure. Yeah, but I mean, if you, that we talked talking before about how you know keeping stuff the same from bow to bow to bow. My my peep to peep to pin measurement and my peep height measurement hasn't changed in archer's advantage for like eight years no kidding so like i've always run the same i've always ran that peep size i've always ran a housing that size yeah just because i am so used to that site picture right just Why where i autom- yeah that's where i automatically set it right. so um so do you yeah. change your peep height at all for reading and then going to opa or any of that stuff Mm-mm. okay Good to know. So, I, I mean, I, I guess if if I do like outdoors um, on some bows, on some of my slower bows, I've had to bump it up a little bit to get more distance mm-hmm. and to make because otherwise I'll get I'll be insanely tight up close and crazy loose out long. So I got to bump it up a little bit on yeah. the, you know, on some of my slower bows. This one, I mean, shooting a little bit higher poundage, just the most poundage I've ever shot. Well, I was going to ask you, so you're 67 pounds mm-hmm. at what, 16 pounds of holding weight? Mm hmm. And what are you running speed-wise with your arrow? Uh, 281. 281. 281 with my 3D arrows, 280 with my pro. And you're in Eastern 25s, Eastern 25, Superdrive 25s. Superdrive 25s, kind of around, somewhere around 25 and a half, yeah. 150 in Flex the front. Flex clutch veins. Running the silent night twos, yep. Yeah. So I'm I'm 282. These are somewhere around 365, 370 grain, something like that. Gotcha. So the pro tours are almost the exact same. Almost the exact same weight and speed and everything. Right. So you could actually take your pro to shoot the exact same side tape almost. Negative. So, okay. <laughs> Trajectory-wise. Trajectory-wise, everything's different. So this side tape, it's actually funny. I wish I had that other one with me, but um, my 3D side tape will only print out to 100 yards because I don't need it. Right. And the, uh, the gaps, the pin gaps for this, like this tape at 100 yard max is the exact same length as my pro tour tape at 110 yard max. So if I set this, if I set this site at hundred yards, I can shoot 110 yards with pro tours essentially. Yeah. Even though they weigh the same and are coming out of the bow at yeah. only one foot per second. It's difference. all about arrow trajectory for sure. You get the so, outside diameter so much, so much less direct. Which is why it's so important to use an actual site tape generator instead oh, yeah. of that's that's for you yeah, instead of instead of you know, using a generic so, tape you know now, what? here's why I mean, they, they work they work fine but for if you're shooting field or you know wanting to be crazy accurate like especially your bunny your up close stuff and your really long stuff is yeah. where you're going to have issues so and, or in some people have issues with their middle marks being way right. off i've ne- i've never had that i know i've talked to a lot of people that say they're 20 you know guys you 20 70 their 20s on their 70s on right then they go to 50 yards and they're four inches off right and that's where they so talk about changing run, that i used to run stuff. archers event i could never get it to work for me and maybe it's because of my draw length or everything so what i started doing a field i ran the site scale on the right side of the site mm. and i had a cheat sheet i learned this from pete clark believe it or not he had a cheat sheet because you know in in field you have very all the yardage is the same no matter right what, 22 24 28 and next to that, I would have my scale number or where that needed to be. That's how I sighted it in. It was psycho, but it took a, it took a day to do it. Oh, so you went out and literally shot, oh, every, shot every target. Yeah. And so I had my sight scale on the side of my tape was Matt. And I had yeah. a little thing on the on a lanyard that it was a the you know, retractable, retractable lanyard. And I could look, I get to that target. And if it was 56 yards, I'd, 
okay, it needs to be on 24. And I just run it down mm -hmm. to 24. I mean, that's how I, because I could never get my tapes to work right. And if I missed dial, you know, never had to worry about misdialing for the most. Cause See, that's and, well, it's, it's weird. Cause it, it changes based on obviously your peep and arrow and all that, you know, the, the measurable stuff in there, everything changes, but it, it changes from printer to printer. So for whatever reason, this printer here, <laughs> well, because every printer scales the graduation slightly different. differently. Yeah, exactly. So, and then you got to look at them too. Like this one, if you print it in color, your, your every 10 will be like, Two thirds of a yard high. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, so it, bleeds, it bleeds out a little. Portably, bit too. yeah, your your colors <sighs> could bleed out hilarious. or whatever. So like that's why I print all my tapes black and on white, and then I'll use use a, a magic marker or whatever to, to make sure it's perfectly to, where you want it. Well, to to highlight the fives or tens, yeah, so I don't miss trip. up my sight. But but yeah, if you if your printers are scared or uh, printing different, so like this one here, my bow shooting two eighty one, I use a two seventy six tape. So it's close, but, but, but my, yeah. and my other bow, my setup with pro tour shoots 280. I shoot a 275. That's crazy. So every, every, and Courtney's got her set up her, she's shooting 265. She shoots a 260 tape. Now every, this printer, for whatever reason, whatever, whatever speed off. it is, I got to print a tape that's five feet slower and they're perfect. They're perfect. And for me, it was faster. Yeah. Really? My bows. Yeah. For some reason it'll, it'll change now. I actually really like the one that you hooked me up with the other day. Was oh, just the metals? No, no, no. The oh, laminate ones. The gun stars. The, the yeah. gun star, gun star. Gun those are, are awesome. really good. Are those are great tape. They're great. Um, I should probably go out trying and to shoot and see if, see if it's it, working. Yeah. There's a couple <laughs> other ones that make good generic tapes. The Lancaster ones are okay. Yeah. Um, the true ball ones are pretty good. Um, the CB ones are okay. What about the CB metal ones for, for their hunting? If you can I mean, see them. If you can see them, they're good for yeah. hunting. I have Hawkeyes. God, I can't see Not those really. tapes. They're hard to see sometimes. They're hard yeah. to see. Yeah, they need them. Um, actually, the True Ball steel tapes, I ran those all last year, the year before. Yeah, and, pretty good. Yeah, I, I thought they were great. Now, out to 50 yards. Correct. I never shot them, you know, with Pro Tours out to 100. But right. um, I, I couldn't get it to work at my poundage. Um, yeah, and seeing that's what's weird, and that's why I, I'm not a huge fan of the generic tapes. Because if you're on, you know, if like you, you're really short, you know, a shorter draw length, absolutely. or like Jason having to run a lower weight, um, or like me where you're running like a crazy short P pipe, right? You're gonna get inconsistencies in it because those they they measure all those basically at 30 inch peep to peep to pin with a four inch P pipe, right? that's the generic number they go off of right. to get those site scaling. So if that's you're, wild. you know, which, I mean, that's going to cover 80% yeah. of all the people that are ever going to use that tape. But exactly. Once I'm going to have to go try them out now. Yeah. Cranked up my weight a little yeah. bit, see if they work. But that, that world archery bow, I tried to do it. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't working. Yeah. yeah. So, and while Maybe you're on a whole other side of it too, because you don't have a peep height, you don't have a peep site. So technically Correct. your peep, peep height is changing depending on your distance because yeah. of where your sight's at. So well, I don't know. With this new nose button, it's not really changing that much. It's a game changer. <laughs> Except that my nose to... button is actually a piece of plastic. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, no, hey, I, I, I put a, I put one on the drawboard with you, actually, and my peep height has always been like four, four and an eighth. That's maybe. low mm -hmm. yeah. for you. Which is Crazy Maybe I'm low. doing it wrong. Well, so he's also got a 30 inch drawing, so yeah, that that's no, true. His string strings like, about yeah. like <laughs> his strings damn near parallel. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, real quick, let's uh, switch gears. I know there there may be some guys wanting to know. Um, 
let's go hunting bow set up. I mean, I know we don't spend near as much time on our hunting bows. I mean, it's 20 yards for the most part, most of us hunters. And that's why I get a kick out of these guys that uh, I don't want to go there. So <laughs> what do you, uh, on your hunting bow, what do you typically shoot? I actually brought everything? mine so we could tune it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do uh, it. I shoot like 75, 80 pounds, whatever I can get out of them. Yeah. And then uh, I actually started shooting that like probably three years ago just on a whim or well, I had a 70 pounder and I wanted the smaller cam on the RX one and Evan Williams, a staff coordinator at the time, he's like, wow, it's going to bump your poundage up. And you're like, good. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, okay. I had never shot 80 pounds before that. So that was the first time I actually like practiced with the hunting bow a lot because I wanted to make sure I could draw back. Yeah. Not that I like struggled with it, but it was definitely heavier than what I was used to. Yeah. So I wanted to be able to draw back. So I shot quite a bit with it that year, but, uh, yeah, like 75, 80 pounds, and then I don't even really have, like, a generic arrow weight I try and get to. I, I'm usually shooting, like, an axis or uh, an injection, injection and yeah. they always end up somewhere between 450 and 500. Right. So, gotcha. I mean, that's more than I'll ever need to shoot pigs exactly. and deer. Right. Especially so, Texas deer. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's funny well, because it takes, you know, let's say a week to get a that bow set up and get it where you want it. And it takes about what? 10 minutes. Yeah. Like 30 minutes to just set up, your shoot it through bow. paper, shoot a broadhead on it and put a broadhead and let it go eat. I need to do that one of these it. days. Cause I have yet to shoot a broadhead really to sight in my bow. Uh, I don't do it anymore, especially if I'm in Texas. Well, I mean, yeah. Cause I, I don't, I almost never do it anymore no. either. I just shoot it through paper and yeah. if it hits where I'm aiming, like I'll just let run it with it. Cause I shoot, now, if I'm going to go out, you know, I'm getting my elk hunting set up, ready yeah. to go. Yeah, I'm shooting it's 100 yards. But yeah. you're going to yeah. take a long shot. I think the, the further shot I've taken in Texas was 40 yards, but it was yeah. a bigger animal. It was one, it's an exotic. Exotic, right. For deer, you're right. Anywhere between 15 and 20. Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, and I'm not trying to discount what we do here because we make money doing this, but, I mean, the amount of uh, these guys and with hunting bows in Texas at 20 yards, the Breathe. amount of thought that goes into it. Yeah is so overkill <laughs> i mean my lord i know it's so overkill because it's you're shooting a target about the size of a nerf football nfl football yeah but 20 yards peace of mind goes a long way it does and and especially have, out here in the hill country yeah i mean you know you, usually you know, the biggest the country country funny, it's kind of like going back to that george riles you know podcast it's it the, the thing that drives you crazy though is and we have guys that do this they come in and they're changing things the week to week they're trying something different week to week. They, they're they trying to find a way to buy accuracy. And it goes mm -hmm. back to that whole thing that Bridger said earlier. I've been saying it forever. George has been saying it forever. Shoot forever. your damn bow. Shoot your damn bow. You can never get good changing things every week or every month and not knowing your equipment. And you can't ever shoot consistently by doing that also. Yeah. I mean, it's 20 yards out of, a you know, shoot your bow. Well, yeah. We got locked down last year and I, I came in and picked up that cure. And I wanted to get good with it. It's just a, it's a hunting bow, but I wanted to get a feel for it. So I would, yeah. I would sit in my garage, got those 30 odd six mini uh, five spots mm -hmm. and I would sit there and shoot yeah, reps. five spot reps, reps, but. reps, reps. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no other way to do it. There's no other way to get better. If you want to get the most out of your equipment, just shoot your damn bow. That, yeah. That's if there's one thing, you know, or get Bridger to tune it. <laughs> no, get Bridger to build you parts true yeah well <laughs> we see i that. only build the parts if i can't tune it <laughs> do you do you i don't know about that <laughs> do you frankenstein your arrows too for hunting 
Because uh, I mean, know you did it for me, and it's, well, it's actually pretty cool. He, he I mean, I don't know about Frankenstein. I just used a different He used different insert, parts. Different yeah, parts so, for different arrows. Yeah, because, like, I'm running the, the injection, and then I have that. Instead of running the... Hit it. The like, hits. the HIT, either the, the Deep Six, or their titanium outsert. I'm running the just a Black Eagle collar. Yeah. Just sleeving over the end, just to give it... And mostly just because that collar sleeving over well, the end is going to be a lot more durable than... An insert sticking out, and yeah. he said the, pri- the the magic word. He doesn't have to buy deep six broadheads. Yeah, I don't have to buy deep six. Oh my god, field points of broadheads, yeah. so I can shoot. Well, I can shoot whatever I want. Whatever he wants, yeah, which makes it a lot nicer. So yeah. now maybe the downside to a collar is you know pulling it out of the bag. A lot yeah. of guys rip rip the collars off, but that's part I mean, of it. I don't ever practice, so I don't have to worry about <laughs> no. it. No, <laughs> <laughs> just buy extras. Yeah, exactly. Now you're you're lucky. You went. You went to the gym the other night because after league we we sat here and talked a lot about arrows and yeah we actually want to build that that one arrow mm-hmm. um, we'll do it one of these days on on one of the shows we wanted to take a a pro comp and put a focus system on it and see what it does yeah but um, that would be awesome yeah well I think a pro comp will make a just a bad a hunt arrow well they there's a couple guys chris that's what chris b chris killed that. with his mm-hmm. yeah that's that what way. he killed that big deer with yeah i just watched it's a good him. hunting arrow it's just oh yeah that arrow just it's a little bit brittle yeah i mean they're durable for what they are but they're a little bit brittle compared to a solid carbon like arrow. an axis yeah. or axis fmj uh injection yeah. stuff like that yeah i i'm a big fan of that injection i know they replaced it this year with that uh, access long range, which that, that arrow's been awesome. been really good for us already. Yeah, but absolutely, um, injection is just a heavier version of it, basically. Yeah. So, gotcha. Okay. You got anything to add? It's nah, been a long one. Yeah, it's not too long. I think people enjoy it. Yeah. Get to know Bridger a little bit more. If you're in the area, just come in and talk to him in person. Yeah, absolutely. Have he a, also makes a pretty good string. He's pretty decent. It's all right. So that's the only other thing I do is I, I build all strings in here. So, yeah. and I run, I run, I run my own strings on all. So all real quick, you know, it's funny. Let's go back to the target bow a little bit. Are you running a different configuration on your cables and string? I run, so everything's stock length, but I run, I run 28, 28, 28 strands for 28 strand cables and 28 strand string. No string. So that is more to help with the stretch coefficient. Yeah. Just yeah. give it a little more stability, more stability. So, yeah. I mean, the, Holding weights neither here nor there. So you know it, this one that changing because we used to just change the string diameter right. with strands that change your holding weight. This bows now with the adjustable draw stops. You, know that, you don't I, need it. Not to get more just stability. Box, but that's what drives me crazy. I mean, and I'm not knocking any of the manufacturer the string people, but at the end of the day, you know, we call them custom strings. You know, that are made by other companies that are not bow manufacturers, and quite frankly, they're duplicating the specs on a factory string that's not custom okay. in any way, shape, or form. They call custom just you switching colors. Yeah, that's it, it is, and it's and it's so crazy because I know we used to, and we don't do it so much now as much, but we have a couple of customers request it, but we even will cut do custom serving length. So if you're yeah. a 29 inch draw, why have all that extra serving on there? You don't need. Let's get it off there. Um, running 28 strand cables, how I've ran 30s before on mine. Um, that's custom. You know, we even do Bridger makes an amazing product too. And not to, we're not trying to do a plug here, but we just experimented with a, building a 100% served mountain string for mm-hmm. our hunting bows because if you ever hunt out west, string degradation is unbelievable. You get back and it looks like the string aged in one week 
10, two years, three years. And we now serve 100% of that string except for, I think, an inch on the cables. Literally, literally like two inches on the cables for just twist. so you can twist to change your timing, timing. to tune. And, and then, then the above and below, the, or well, really, I'd serve all the way up to and all the way down to the peep. peep. So you don't need, so there's no more tying the peep in other than mm-hmm. around it to keep yeah. it. So, and I mean, I got, I got that idea from Kevin Wilkie. He works, he works over at Kuyu now, but, uh, he had posted, he did that one year and I'm like, well, shit, I know how to build a string. That'd yeah. be cool. And try it with Travis and they've been pretty good. We've had, we got a half a dozen sets out there right now. I'll tell you the feedback on them has been amazing. We think that we'll get that two to five years out of a string. We got a couple guys shooting them that shoot a lot. So I'm kind Travis of excited. Travis beats the crap out of his stuff. Travis and he said they're still holding death. up pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're kind of excited about that, but that is a custom string. Correct. I mean, it's not a factory remake, Yeah. which is what I think 90% of those people out there are doing well, and on the strings. I mean, with, to me, the I mean, I built enough strings, I think, but to me, the most important part with it is you're, initial layup process yeah your initial yeah. layup and the twist if you oh, get yeah. those two things right you know everybody's got their own formula for how long they stretch and what poundage right. and how tight they serve and what poundage right that you know and i think there's probably more than one right answer for that right but depending on how you do your end loops and all that stuff that's where your peep twist and all that stuff comes into comes account in. so right. like even though i'm building strings that are the same serving length and everything as a factory string the way i tie the end loop or you know my tag ends or so how somebody serves their end loop is going to be slightly different right they could make that string a lot better or I mean, a lot of times a lot worse well it's depending funny. on the ones and, I've seen. and then so we also you know we see this all the time a lot of customers demand they want that that 74 75 pounds you know they don't want to go 80 they want 74 75 and we'll short cable those mm-hmm. you know an eighth of an inch to get that up there naturally with the strings compressing the limbs and that's custom you know, we're, we'll talk with that customer to find out what they're trying to get out of it and accomplish. Because, you know, I'm notorious. I'll put 18 twists in a set of cables in a second and get it to yeah. 80. And I've done it for years, and it works. You know, they'll settle somewhere else, you know, down the line around 75, 76. But if we can build that string already into it and not have to do mm-hmm. all the twisting on it, it's a better string at the end of the day. you got less stretch coefficient, and that's custom. That's I agree again. 100%. I, I got it. And, and Bridger, I'm going to tell you right now, builds it just a dynamite string. I've got a set of custom Bridger strings from... What two years ago when I went through that that injury where I couldn't draw and yeah. made them a little bit longer got the, the exactly. draw weight down and draw weight down on them right so yeah anyway shameless he, plug yeah he does all the strings here and if you all need a set of strings made with the I guess with the what I call a custom touch you you, you definitely need to give us a shout because he's he's damn good at it so other than that man I I God we probably could talk more there's so many actually I have a lot of other questions I wanted to talk to him about maybe we can do a 2.0 later just about his prep because I mean. You know how he how he handles a tournament day, how he handles the tournament days over the course of a longer period, and you know how he's preparing physically, mentally. Strategy. I know his mental game is really score more up. points. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my strategy. Yeah, there you go. So, other than that, man, we appreciate you all um, listening. I think we've had a pretty good run um, going here. I think next week we've got a guy coming in. We're going to go back to hunting a little bit. Um, it's going to be really good, yeah, really it'll interesting. Good it'll be a really good one. I think you guys will enjoy it for sure. Um, but other than that, we're going to sign off. And uh, thanks for listening to us. And yeah. we'll you all see you have next a good time. week.